a lot of people are they're struggling like whether it's trainers whether it's business owners like a lot of people all around the world are really struggling right now for business and maintaining their livelihood but i'm doing these weekly coaches roundtables on orphic education and almost every time no every time i talk to these high level coaches almost all of them if not all are thriving and they're doing well some are better than they were before and i feel like you're in a similar situation so I'm, i keep asking like okay what are these people doing so i feel like i'm i'm fortunate enough to be in a similar situation as well okay what are all these people doing success leaves clues to 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 create this environment where they can be successful in adversity in perceivable adversity how are they finding their opportunity like how do you answer that how have you been because i know you've been uh, able to still do a lot of the stuff that you've been doing yeah 100% i think for, for the strength conditioning coach i think it's been a bit of a a blessing to a certain extent because what you find is that a lot of coaches particularly good ones aren't always social media heavy pretty much so a lot of people can't work face to face so a lot of people are having to go online they've got more time um, particularly like elite sport you're getting different coaches and that that are able to actually put out more info because they have more time to be able to do this sure and i guess the quality of the standard because you know online coaching and like different online social media blah 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 has tended to have a bit of a bad rap in the past with different personal trainers and influencers and stuff like that. Mm. Where I think at the moment, you're actually getting real high quality coaches um, spending more time on social media more than ever. So the actual value, like you, you see how many freaking webinars and oh, right. different stuff, which is fantastic. People um, have never given out so much free no, content. Correct, Everyone's 100%. an expert on bodyweight training now. Oh, mate. Body Buy my PDF I now. I did a fucking Zoom call on that the other day. Did you? Um, What'd you do it on? Oh, look, just look, here's the thing. I think the important thing is like with body weight training or minimal equipment training is understanding the principles um, regardless you have with or without equipment. So I think as a coach, you know, understanding principles of the force velocity curve, multi-planner training, um, understanding different strategies like high-low, um, all these different things where, you know, you can create an adaptation without the equipment just by following, by being adaptive and creative. Like I've seen a lot of things like with Alex Natera on the, the isometrics. Um, uh, you, you see things like, um, you know, a lot more people doing plyometrics, sprint training, stuff that pro perhaps they hadn't worked on as much in the past, but now um, I guess that, you know, they've got the time. And I think with all this, you know, great information coming out, people are actually starting to learn. I think it's been great for the strength conditioning um, industry yeah. because it's got a, a lot more exposure because, you know, previously people, you know, they're playing sport, they're like, oh, yeah, that's great, but, you know, they've never really had the time to be able to dive deep into... Well, they've never been forced really to when yeah. everything's taken away, right? And now so much has been taken away. They can't train. So they, they thought they were getting their athletic development mm. when they trained, when they really it was just training. But now there's nothing. Mm. And so now they're getting the opportunity to actually get a foundational skill set and foundational uh, these foundational adaptations physiologically that they never really built. 100%. Yep, 100%. Um, yeah, look, I think... Um, and a lot of it, it, it just goes back to education as well. I think the amount of people that, you know, train as an athlete, but like something as simple as freaking trying to develop parent speed. Like most people go down to a field and they'll perform freaking like 100 meter sprints with like 20 second rest and they'll call that speed training. And they've, and they've never done, like they haven't done 100 meter sprints in like no. ever or months. Yeah, correct. Um, which now, like, I think people are actually understanding the science behind it where, 
you know, you don't always have to feel like you're puking to get something out of a session. Absolutely. Um, Break that down because I think this is still a it's still like an ideology that exists within many communities around the world. Yeah, 100%. Um, and look, I think the easiest way I always go back to this is Charlie Francis high-low model. So basically polarizing your training between the, the top of the top. So basically for those that aren't familiar, um, Charlie Francis was a legendary Canadian track and field coach who um, had a lot of success um, with different Olympic games and stuff like that with different athletes. Um, basically what he proposed was um, in order to improve like maximum speed, power outputs, basically what you need to elicit is um, efforts of above 95% max intensity pretty much. So in order to ensure we're maintaining enough volume and being able to you know, perform multiple repetitions, we need to make sure we have sufficient rest periods so we don't dip below that, that threshold pretty much. And there's been a lot of studies where I think there was um, a study on like 40 meter sprint work with, uh, I think it was with 30 second rest, one minute rest and then I think two minute rest. Mm. So still, you know, relatively sub, um, like lowish rest period. But what they found was that the 30 second rest group only got about three efforts in, three 40 meter efforts in before they dipped below that 95%. Yeah. So if you're looking at actual volume standpoint, they've only had two or three actually high quality. Are um, these novices, do you know? Uh, I don't know, yeah, couldn't tell you 100%, but here's the thing. The group that had two minutes rest, um, and I'd probably recommend even three to four minutes rest. Between they, a 40 minute sprint, you're saying? 40 meter sprint, correct. And what they found was that the two minute group was able to elicit like eight to 10 efforts. I think it was, might've been up to 10 efforts above that 95% threshold. So you think about one group's had 400 meters of pure maximum intensity volume compared to one group that had two, two to three. So it's at 80 to 120 meters. So over time, if you're looking at a, a cumulative effect from an adaptation standpoint, what you're going to find is that obviously the longer rest period groups got more volume at a higher intensity. Mm. The body's going to adapt very task spe uh, specificity. Your much. maximal outputs are yeah. going to increase. Correct. Um, and I think particularly with team-based sports, they mistake that because a lot of sports play under fatigue at various levels, pretty much. So and that's they, all. That's always the justification, right? Correct. To training to in fatigue. Correct. And don't get me wrong. There is, um, and this is why um, I'm going to go into the next part. But here's the thing: if you improve your maximum effort, so like your maximal sprinting speed. So let's say. Uh, all right, let's say your maximum sprinting speed is 30 kilometers an hour, which I think is like 8.6 meters per second or something like that. If you improve that up to like 33 um, kilometers per hour, like you're, you're moving above nine meters per second now. If you, sports played sub-maximally. So, you know, if you're having to perform a lot of efforts at like 24, 26 kilometers per hour in a game, well, if you can operate at 33 kilometers per hour now compared to 29, 30, you know, you're... you're the efficiency that you're going to be able to perform those efforts in is going to be greatly... You're performing at a lower relative intensity Correct. for the same amount of effort. Correct. And that is the fucking... That's that's the beauty of it. Yeah. So you can essentially... Like, here's the thing. Everyone's like, oh, just get fitter, get fitter, get fitter. Well, you can also get faster and indirectly improve speed reserve yes. through that. So you hit two birds with one stone. Now, don't get me wrong. The, you know, the aerobic system um, is the foundation for all recovery between efforts, between sessions, between everything pretty much. Yeah. Um, and, and we know it's critical to prolonging time to fatigue, but um, this is why we go high-low. So I think a lot of people sit in the middle zone where it's like just that heavily lactate feeling consistently because they feel like that's the closest. But I think the role of a strength conditioning coach is to um, work above and below the demands of sport. Otherwise, we're just sitting in the middle. They might as well play their sport and we're true. not needed pretty much. Yeah. So I think on the low end, I think... Um, 
you know, developing aerobic um, functions such as cardiac output, threshold, uh, VO2 max, um, all these different things which are going to be critical to, you know, maintaining high quality outputs. Because here's the thing, you can still do all the speed stuff in the world, um, but if you can't recover between efforts, what you're going to find is that you're just going to blow up and be shittier as the game mm. goes on. So, yeah, you want to develop the really, really maximal outputs, but then we also want to make sure that we have the aerobic system function to be able to recover from that and then be able to repeat, repeat, repeat over, say, four quarters, whatever game we're playing pretty much. So in my system, uh, in my opinion, that's energy system development for most team-based athletes in a nutshell. I do think there is a time and place to add in, you know, that glycolytic middle zone, but... But 80-20, Pareto's yeah, law, correct. you're spending most of 100%. it in alactic or aerobic. Yep, correct. And then I think, you know, when you're trying to squeeze that little bit, because here's the thing, like, glycolytic work, um, work, like, it does work. Like, it's an aggressive stimulus to the body. You do get... And you can train... Um, as we just mentioned before, you can train the aerobic system through the anaerobic system by getting faster. You can train it in the, in the mid zone as well to a certain extent, but it's extremely fatiguing and that's the problem. And this is why we go back to that high-low model. If you just stick in the middle, it's too intense to recover from, but it's also not fast enough to get faster. So you kind of sit in this mid zone where, um, you know, you're going to be incredibly fatigued for your speed sessions the day after or whatever. Like, um, it's just very... You know, we want to um, distribute our stress across the training um, um, cycle, pretty much. So, what did you, what was Charlie's percentage with the low? Uh, okay, so I think it was, it was below ninety five percent above. Yep. is the high. Yep, and I think it was it below seventy five percent. Okay, I'm pretty sure. So, efforts between seventy six to like ninety ninety four percent or something like that, I think, was um, classified as you know not too not fast enough to get faster and not slow enough to recover from, pretty much. Now. How, that intensity, how did he measure that? Was that heart rate? Was that MAS? Uh, yes, yeah, so I think uh, velocity of movement. So, for example, as I said oh, before... Oh, so you record your max time. Yeah, so if you can run 10 metres per second, you know, performing efforts between 9.5 to 10 metres per second, um, and, you know, below... If, you, if you're doing strides or something like that for aerobic developed tempo strides or whatever, it has to be, like, you know, 70% or 7 metres per second or below, pretty yeah. much. Um, yeah, so I think... It might, like, initially, like, until you go through it, like, it might sound counterintuitive to a lot of coaches and that, but it actually makes a lot of sense, in my opinion. I mean, it seems like this is your area of most interest, and if I would say expertise, like, if I'm going to a guy for conditioning, it's a guy like you. And you might think, well, I, there's so much still I don't know, I'm still so young in this, but, like, relative to your knowledge base, is this your favourite thing? Uh, well, well, yeah. Well, one of them? The, the way I look at it is a lot of my athletes... Um, AFL, soccer, or AFL uh, football umpires, pretty much. So, I've had to spend a lot of time out, you know, coaching at on the field sessions and stuff like that, where they don't always gravitate a lot to the strength side of things. Some of them, particularly like soccer athletes and umpires, footballers are a little bit different, you know. And I think you can spend all this time in the gym getting strong, which is so important for to enhance, you know, durability, neurological efficiency, mm. force output, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we all know the guys that are crazy strong yet can't move on the field. So a lot, I think having a balance between, um, you know, teaching them the strength side of things, which is critically important, but then being able to express that strength into more specific based tasks, such as high velocity movements, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's something that, um, you know, I enjoy. Cause I think like you look at a sport like AFL, it's, it's, one of the most complex sports because there's just so many different qualities that need to be it's, it's um collision-based sport it's 
uh, three dimensional, like coming from everywhere. It's um, it's huge, long distance, long dis, huge aerobic demand, huge high speed running demand. Yep. There's just so many factors that go there's into that. Jumping, there's sprinting, Correct. there's changing direction. direction. Yep. And all of that is combined with like trauma of like, correct, brutish physical contact. Hundred um, percent. And I think you know if you're neglecting certain aspects such as speed or endurance or strength or whatever, you know, you're going to be leaving holes in your development pretty much. Absolutely. And I think that's something that a lot of us, we call ourselves strength and conditioning coaches, and admittedly, probably that has been a hole in my weapon set and skill set for some time and now finally plugging it properly through learning from guys like you and Ellis and, and all these resources that yeah. you give onto us. Yeah. Um, and look, I think a, a lot of my philosophies and that have come from, from Alice and Jay, uh, Jay Ellis. And then today. he will give it like from guys like uh, Miladin. Yeah, Jovanovic. Yeah, if you like, in terms of a conditioning resource, uh, high intensity interval training for team-based sports, I think that's the, the name of it. Fantastic resource. Because here's the thing, for like, in terms of like team-based athletes, there's not a lot of conditioning-based resources out there. Like even for like mm. speed, for there's a lot of track resources out there um, if you dig and you actually search for it. Um, but a lot of like the the great track coaches don't put a lot of inf- information out on. Do you think that's because they're trying to keep their, their secrets? Maybe I don't kind of know. I, maybe a lot of them are old school too. Like you know, like the maybe they don't. They're not you know, even on social media. Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah. So, um, and I think what like you know like and a lot of this stuff's great but i think the important thing is a lot of it isn't always applicable because the volumes are different the frequencies are different they don't have to worry about team sport training they don't have to worry about collision they don't have to worry about multiple deceleration change of direction all these linear sprint correct um you know and i think that's where i think um that's what i enjoy taking a lot of concepts from different um you know like track and field uh weightlifting uh gymnastics Mm even like yoga and stuff like that, martial arts, where you can take all these principles and then use what's useful, discard what's not, obviously, um, and then, you know, sift it into how you feel that is going to improve athletic development for, you know, team-based athletes, which, yeah, as I said, is quite complex. Yeah, well said. I mean, that's that's the complex thing about it, but how, what do you see as like, if you've got a pre-season athlete or client, let's call them athlete, and you have in-season, how do you break up their conditioning volume versus in-season? For example, off-season, we might get a guy or girl training, weight training, like four times a week, mm. right? Are you then using the off days as low days for their conditioning? How do you structure it? Yeah, well, okay. So if we look at it from the standpoint, most clubs train Tuesday, Thursday. We're talking amateur, even semi-elite sport-based. So most teams play Saturday. So... In terms of um, the greatest trauma to the body, that's going to be the most intense stimulus. So we know if we follow Charlie Francis' high model, we're going to know we're going to need at least probably 48 to 72 hours before we can elicit another high stimulus. Now, here's the thing. You can do things like, I like to, in season, I do prefer to do a lot more of my conditioning with the ball as much as possible. Um, just because... In and, season? Yeah, in season. Um, because, look, as I said, where everything's about... Um, if you if you I don't know if you've heard the uh, the cup analogy and like raising like sort of water like if you overfill too much the cup falls out overtraining risk of injury blah 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 so we're trying to kind of um, balance a lot of things in season getting players through but making sure we're not detraining because that's that's another thing so I think it's a very case by case scenario in season I think you know 
just doing extra running for the sake of it. Um, I, you know, I do believe that perhaps we need to um, pull it back a bit. It's just volume regulation, pretty much. So pre-season, you're going to be having a lot more volumes of running. In-season, they're going to try and get a lot more of that through the ball, um, work on their craft, because that's technical tactical from week to week is what you know the coaches are going to want to implement from, from training session to training session, pretty much. Um, so you want to give them as much time as that. And I think you know maybe have top-up blocks. So in between sessions, maybe have uh, – so in between – Drills and that, you might have like a five or 10 minute running station, pretty much intertwine, bring it back in. In between drills? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, 100%. In between skill, dr- skill oh, drills. Sk- okay, yep. got it. So, got like, it. for example, like that's how I have to do it. In terms of like session to session, um, I'd probably try and get off legs as much as possible in season, just because you don't want to, um, in terms of like keep your skill training and your, your conditioning there. In terms of like off days and that, maybe like do like low intensity, uh, like spin, like cycling um pool sessions mobility sessions yoga um, yoga all bodies. that stuff where just general um recovery based function um is important but look in season's a bit of an art i guess because because it's all depend on how well they're recovering right yeah correct so it's it, it is hard and it's very much an individual based thing but um i think the hard thing is too like you look at most sports like we have like six month in seasons so if and basketball like they, they almost don't have an off season yeah correct which is just madness and i think the thing is if you know six months is a lot of time to not give a training stimulus to the body like to not you know because a lot of people just wrap them in cotton wool in season well and this is the problem like people have great pre-seasons people you know you always hear clubs saying oh you know um oh they're the fittest that they've ever been you know like they're the strongest that they've ever been you get them up to round eight round ten as soon as the colder months come in and they've detrained you know they've lost hypertrophy they've because they're not maintaining. Yeah, they're not maintaining. And I think that there is a balance where you do need to push athletes to a certain extent in season, but you also need to make sure that you're monitoring and you're, you're regulating. And I think every athlete's going to be different. Like, And I'm sure you've experienced coaching that some athletes can tolerate high volumes. Some athletes just can't. It's purely dependent on how much stress they're putting yeah, through their body. Correct. And that comes through sleep, actual emotional stress, um, nutrition, all of these factors. Yep, 100%. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's very much a case by case, and I think, um, yeah, and and look, I am a believer of of trying to get conditioning through skills. However, you don't always get a great concentrated dose to actually improve quality. Sometimes, like you know, for example, spending time at VO two max if that's the goal of the program. You know, there's a lot of research that says if you're not very diligent with how you program that, the better players will just get lazy. They'll sit out the back because they're, they're more skilled. They don't have to work as hard. And you look at most sports, the, the, better, um, the better teams tend to not run as much because they're more efficient with their movement. It's the actual opposition that's chasing tail the whole time, um, trying to catch up. So you actually look at it, if you're doing small-sided games as conditioning, you need to be careful um, that you know, the better athletes are actually, the ones that you know, your most important players are actually staying conditioned for when they need it in the games, otherwise at training, because sometimes they just take the piss and because they're so efficient, they just zip the ball around without having to do a lot pretty much. So. I think there is a balancing act between, you know, conditioning through small-sided games and also getting enough pure, uh, I guess, conditioning running to, to maximize. And it's an art, figuring out what works. It is an much. art. I mean, that, that's why they call it the art of coaching yeah. and, and the, the skill of it uh, and the theory of it. And what I was getting distracted looking at was actually because you, you talked about how you're training skill around conditioning. Mm. And that reminded me of some research, either Dr. Alan Pierce christian's um honor supervisor either he either did or he quoted and that was around how eccentric training and fatigue 
along those lines was a really poor environment for learning new skills and it actually decreased uh, skill acquisition and hopefully I can I'm reading the right thing um, compared to the control group the people who had the muscle damage never improved their motor control at the level compared to the control group what this means is their ability to learn a new skill was impeded therefore implementing skill training sessions is not a smart idea when you have DOMS oh that's right it was DOMS yeah. okay so that's a don't justify a skill-based training session as recovery if you care about acquiring and refining new motor skills correct um yeah, like it, it's it's a, it's an interesting one because we also know a lot of data on like hamstring um, injury prevention with like fascicle length and stuff like that. Which is actually there was actually a great study that came out because everyone's like like Nordics, 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 Nordics. Which Nordics are a tool, hundred um, percent. I was actually glad that there was a um, a study that came out that showed that high quality sprint training increased fascicle length and improved sprinting velocity. For those who don't know, can you describe fascicle length, uh, if you can? Yeah, so like basically within the hamstring, um, diff- depending on like how strong you are, like uh, I think there was the, uh, who, who put it? I can't remember. It was like the quadrant of doom. So pretty much like strong and long, short and weak. And then there was like in between on each side. So pretty much. So basically um, it's the, the, the length of the, the hamstring um, fiber pretty much in which it's not much. It's like really small. But improving at like three or four centimeters through like what we showed was through high quality sprint training was enough to have a improved fascicle length and reduce that injury risk um, for hamstring injuries. Are you essentially hypertrophying the fascicle? Yeah, and length, and yeah, strengthening fiber? and lengthening the, the actual fascicle. And length, okay, so when we say short and when we yep. say long, yep. how do we describe and note the difference? So what does the that actual, actually mean? The actual length of the fascicle, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. So, so weaker, uh, sorry, athletes that tend to, because here's the thing, like there's been research that pure concentric hamstring can actually shorten the fascicle. It might strengthen the hamstring, but it can actually shorten the fascicle length within the hamstring. Okay. Yeah. So we're you're just doing like static jumps, for example, concentric. No, no, I mean like things like leg curls. Okay. Like just like, a st- like stuff like that. Um, now I'm not saying like that's always bad because like, th- there is like a case for concentric um, but hamstring. By, but alone by itself yeah, is correct. problems. Yeah, correct. So um yeah, so like, you know, strong. So things like a Nordic can actually develop strength through that length, through that hamstring. So, but we also know that um, max velocity sprinting exposes the hamstrings to a very spe- uh, velocity specific strength um, to prepare it for, because where are you going to tear a hamstring? Sprinting, pretty much. So it would make sense to actually sprint guys with high quality, good technique. And also um, running mechanics, sprinting mechanics is also another big one where if you've got poor uh, mechanics where you're overstriding, uh, you're heel striking, you're not landing underneath your center of mass, what you're gonna find is that you're gonna put a braking force on the body, which is gonna increase hamstring strain anyway. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are looking at Nordics, blah, 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 without refining the skill of actually sprinting, which is firstly probably where they're gonna do it. And secondly, um, you know, you hit two birds with one stone like you get faster and you can actually reduce the likelihood so i think nordics have a part of a well-rounded program or or here's the thing another one when you look at studies done on nordics it's not really compared to anything else. like if you if they're comparing an rdl it's all sub-maximal so a nordic's a super maximal exercise whereas no one does a super maximal rdl in a study because it's a lot more technical. It's not apples to apples. Yep. And and here's the thing. Cause well, they might do like a, a isometric mid-thigh pull. Uh, yeah, but that's not really eccentric. Um, yeah. You're not really... It's more isometric. You know what I mean? Or depending on like... What would you yeah. compare it to? Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Like most of it's like through like leg curl, like in different 
yeah, stuff like that. But here's the thing, like, and I know why, because in order to coach a super maximal RDL, like that takes a lot of coaching to be able to actually execute it. If you're just trying to get a study, teaching them how to, Firstly, hinge. Yes, and then teach and then, them, and then super maximal. Get loads. strong enough to control that oh, movement. Like you're just injury rate. Right in yeah, so, so I it's, think, usually, it's usually like control group who's not doing anything. Mm, yeah, and then just a yeah. So I think Nordic. Where most of like like our guys that we train like they hinge all the time, pretty yeah. much. So I think a lot of them are getting quite strong. If you compared apples to apples, I think that would also be interesting too, because you look at it from a, a um, uh, I guess a spe- uh, specificity like an RDL is ground based you're able to apply force into the ground. Mm. Whereas a Nordic, you're not ground-based. You're just falling pretty much from that standpoint. So I'd be interested to see some um, evidence on like very, very heavy RDLs. There could be some out there. I don't know. Um, in like relation to Nordics. But then what? Like like we know that like regardless of a Nordic or if it's a... Like we just want to stimulate the hamstring eccentrically and yep. get it stronger, and we essentially want to do that to all major and even minor muscle groups. Yep. So what the Nordic is just a tool. It's a tool. There's a million yep. different variations we can do. And look, it's an effective tool. It's got good data right. on it too. So I think, um, and and another thing is the thing with the Nordic is it's a ten, like a nine or a ten out of ten. Like yes. how many people can actually fully lower out properly, designed what the movement was designed to do. I. Not many. There's that famous video of Lockie Wilmont and yeah, doing and that. Dylan, Dylan Shield was doing a um, so it's a different name, Razor Kill. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and look, yeah, Dylan Dylan Shield's a phenomenal athlete. But um, I think um, what we're going on so hamstring length, eccentrics. Uh, yeah. So uh, oh yeah, how, how hard like the difficulty of, of, of the exercise. Um, yeah. So not, most people can't do a full blown naughty. Mm. which means they're not going to be able to spend enough time to actually get the benefit from the Nordic because they just fall pretty much and they can't control like, it. Do a fucking uh, a, uh, eccentric double leg slider. Sliders are great. 30 and seconds. Yep. That's going to fucking cook you. And another thing is too, like I've seen variations like sliders are fantastic because you can develop, develop the, I guess, the, the the strength and the coordination throughout that that the glute ham complex because you're in hip extension as well, yeah. which is important. Um but like I've seen variations where people have looped a band around the heel in a slider, so and then pulling back, so it becomes a super maximal contraction. Uh, and you got to resist against it. Yeah, correct. And you can't, huh. but it's super maximal. It's like a naught. You can't actually resist it. And I've tried that, and it's actually a fantastic. So yeah. let's describe that for the people just listening, yep. which is most. So yep. <laughs> the band is tied around the ankle. The ankle. Yep. You got, I'm, you're on the slider. Yep. I'm fa- say I'm facing you. Yep. And I'm pulling the band. Yep. And then you are lowering down. Yep. And you're trying to resist getting pulled. Right. So you're trying to pull. Yeah. Push pull uh, the, towards pull, yourself. Yeah, but your length, the, the length, the super maximal contraction is yeah. lengthening it as you go through. Huh. Um, and that's another example of a super maximal. That's a good progression to like a when you once you get past those basic yeah, variations. Yeah. And like single leg version, you can do like. Um, and another one, like you can also do like things like. I like that. You can load up like a glute bridge and then slide out. So you can actually load it. I don't see enough people like actually load it a little bit. Oh, so wait. Around the hip, like so for example. Because like, you know, like with the glute bridge, how you bring your legs up, perform, you could do it with a dumbbell or a barbell, bridge up and then slide out while maintaining your hips up. Slide eccentrically out while, while you're loading in like heavy Oh yeah, it depends, whatever you extension. can control. Yeah, 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 like well, that's, yeah. yeah that's, that's another variation. And then come back. Yeah. Ooh. Well, yeah. If you can. If you can. You may, it depends on the load and how Damn. strong you are. But That's good. Um, and because here's the thing, as you lengthen out, you're going to be in a disadvantaged position the further you go out. Yes. So... Being able to 
tolerate like load in that very lengthened position is very hard. Yeah. Because um, we're, we're all very strong in a, like you could, anyone could rep out hip thrust or glute bridge for a fair bit of weight. Yeah. There's not a lot of skill to it. Um, and you know, in such a short range of motion, you can actually- I mean, people like to shit on the hip thrust, right? Uh, yeah. But I, it, it is, a, especially I think for the populations who want to hypertrophy their glutes, mm. I think it's effective in mm. that way when you can uh, isometrically and get a lot of mechanical tension and muscle damage on that glute complex that very is. aggressively. But if we talk athletic development, is it the, could we be doing better other variations? Probably. Maybe, but look, it's a tool. And here's the thing, like we know here, like at Woodford, it's like the hip thrust is a pretty, uh, pretty common movement, common you say. Common movement, 100%. But most people are weak as fuck. Yeah. So and, something and look, to, yeah. And here's the thing, if you're able to produce force through a, a glute bridge and you've done no training, like you're going to get a training effect. Yeah. And here's the thing, most people's glutes are weak and we yeah. know our glutes are critical for, firstly, they're our first hip extensor. And secondly, like they decelerate the hip during eccentric um, like movement. So if we can't, if we're not strong with our, um, our glutes, like we're not going to be able to stabilize the hip yep. and the knee. Very important. So I think 100%, like, I'm not saying it's the be all end all. There's other options that you can use um, with that, but getting your glutes strong is always like everyone's looking for like missing links. But like if you, if you get your glutes strong, yeah. like it's 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 a pretty safe method that you can't go wrong. But, and that's one thing you know. If there's one thing you're gonna put to a guy like well, Brett Contreras talks about it in a way for hypertrophy and mm. like oh yeah, yeah, but then Christian has gone and been like, well, athletic development. Yeah, and it's interesting how they both parallel each other. And so if there's one credit you want to give to a guy like that and credit for him to host in this podcast here mm. is, is that he has put glute development and posterior chain development kind of on the map in the last five to 10 years, I would say, yep. for a lot of populations. Yeah, because I think, and, and look, a large, like before like Woodford's open and stuff like that, most people would go to commercial gyms. And as I said, there wasn't a lot of applied athletic development out there for people to, yeah. so they do a lot of bodybuilding routines. It would be, um, you know, squats, leg extensions, step ups, leg press, um, maybe leg curls or something like that. Like the the amount of quad dominant exercises people would perform at the gym, um, where we know like you know the posterior chain is the, the powerhouse of the body, glutes, hamstring, lower back. Like that's that's where your power comes from. Um, so yeah, f from that standpoint, like um, would fit like Christian. I think almost I wouldn't say revolutionize that, but um, he would. Yeah, he would. Hundred um, <laughs> percent. But um, you know, like made it become very known, and like he's known as pretty much glutes, 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 pretty much at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The nervous system and the glutes. Yep. Um, but that is like that's such an important topic. Yep. And I wanted to ask you. It just came to my mind. Um, how much technology? do you use in your coaching or do you want to use i'm talking like velocity based training for example because mm. i just actually bought i bought it a while ago yeah, late last year uh, a velocity based training device just out of my own uh, curiosity to experiment it on myself and use it as a tool to measure g let's get another tangible objective data mm. on proximity to failure and speed of the bar yep. so then i can add that into it, my programming to make it more accurate is that something you've played with or considered? Uh, I wouldn't say I've had a lot of access to it. What I have like recently got is um, the MyJump 2 app. I don't know if you're familiar with that. So Explain basically that. on your phone, you can actually look it up. I think it's within like 99% of, of, of something of um, a force plate in terms of accuracy. So you can 
measure things like force velocity profiling through like jump height, different loads, see if they're... Um, Hold on, is this just an app? You need yeah, equipment, it's an app. don't you? No, it's an app. What? Seriously, it's $14 on, on look it up and look at How that. do you, how does it work? It, so like jump height um, is a measure of um, flight time divided by ground content, something like that. I'm pretty sure that's like a fundamental universal principle of physics. I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah. Ground so contact time and flight time. It can determine how long you've been in the air. But so you, you, you plug in the point where they've left the ground, like because it has like micro frames. Okay. So at the point at which they just leave the ground, yeah. that's when their flight time begins. And then the point where they just hit it, because it's micro frame, you can zoom right into the point where they hit it. And that can determine how high you've jumped. And I'm looking, I'm looking it can calculate force too? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, the force independent um, Now I'm saying like... time, velocity. Is it, is it going to be 100% perfect? But probably not. But for for fourteen dollars versus fourteen dollars, what's a jump mat? I don't uh, know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Five hundred to a thousand, and a force plate on top of that's probably yeah. Which you're lugging around like yeah. a, like a roof ball. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very pr- and it it's something that um, I've even been using at the moment with um, as I said, I've had online clients from Perth and New South Wales and stuff like that where you can still train that. Like you can get a force velocity profile, but they send in their. Um, you need to have. I think you need to like get like limb length and and weight okay. and stuff like that as well. Okay, but that's that, simple that, enough. That, that's easily measured. But How's it doing force? Uh, you don't know. I don't know. Yeah. How does it do that? Wouldn't it need to? Um, uh, much smarter people who understand yeah, um, math than us. Yeah. And I, I think it's just a great way to kind of. My jump two. What happened to my jump one? I don't know. Maybe new and improved. <laughs> So you've been using this? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Well, now, because here's the thing, like I haven't had been able to have access to, and, and especially like um, mm. training, as I said, people from, that I, I can't, you know, from the, they're from the other side of the, the state or the other side of the country. Um, you know, I don't always have access to them. It's an easy way to uh, assess whether, you know, the program's working to a certain extent. Um, That's great. Yeah, and it's affordable. I even saw there's another app too. Like I think it was like a sprinting app. Like this one was like five bucks where, um, it has like a photo finish technology where you can like you know like with like horse races and, and the finish lines at like sprinting races how they have like the photo finish yeah with like the line and stuff like that yeah you can actually line someone up like let's say you're doing a 20 meter sprint um there's like a gun that goes off so like sprinting start they react to the gun and then you stand at the finish line with the pinpoint accuracy and you can determine to the split second of what they actually ran but they have to react to the stimulus. That's the only thing. So, but, that, but okay, but that's good because mi- it now minimizes uh, one measurement point of error. Mm. And that's either at the start time or the stop time. Yeah. So you basically eliminated one of them, which improves accuracy. Yeah, and correct. And I think, look, if you look at it in a 100-meter sprint, they react to a gun anyway. So um, in terms of, yeah, like when they, to start it. Um, so the only error would be you actually clicking the start button. No, you button. don't click it because when the beep goes, that's when the clock starts. Motherfucker. Yeah. That, it, that and it eliminates both. Yes, correct. Oh um, shit! What's it called? Uh, Pull it up, Jay Edmonds. <laughs> um, Jay with an E. Why is it Jay with an E? What happened there? Uh, ask Danielle and Dean Edmonds. Uh, They'll probably have the better answer. I like it. I actually like it. It's unique. It is. There's not too many. Actually, there was some bastard down there. I saw on one of the wall. He. Um, I'd never seen another person had Jay with an E, except I saw one person wow. down on the phone. Wow. Disappointed. Down here, huh? Uh, sprint timer. That's it. Yep. Sprint timer. Yep. Check it out, kids. Got it. So, like, yeah, like, there's tools now where, you know, like, and it may not be to the absolute, but of very, very close accuracy to, um, you know, high-level equipment for, for pretty much minimal price. 
That's great. And I think that's that's great for most people. And it, it helps. Look, but here's the thing. You can have all the tools. You can understand force, velocity, profile. Mm. But you need to know how to use it, though. You need to know how to use it. And number, number one, your athlete and client actually needs to do the thing to get them better consistently. Correct. I think one of the most sometimes difficult, it depends on the client you get. It depends on the person you're working with. But often the most difficult thing is for people to get out of their own way and do the thing that's going to be beneficial to their health with athletes you're often like there was this there's this quote um by uh, victor frankl who was uh, in a concentration camp in nazi germany and he, uh, a sufficient why can bear almost any how right so you need your why big enough to bear any reason why you're not going to do it any excuse and i think with an athlete you have these lofty goals and outcomes you're trying to chase and achieve right i know they have their challenges mm. too but i think that's where some of the disconnect and challenge can be between uh, a general population client where some people just they don't really know mm. a lot of they don't have granular objective xyz i want this to happen this to happen i think uh, at least with me in my experience like a lot of the job is trying to get people on the path where they can find out exactly what they want their health and wellness to look like in their life and i think that comes to what we were talking about like you got to do the thing you can have all this stuff but if you're not actually doing the thing consistently and adhering then what are we doing yeah and i think um it's very hard to try and figure that out for yourself if you don't study it every day like the stuff that i've been figuring out for the last four or five years well no four years now pretty much yeah four years since i first came down here something like that internship um, yep and um you know the stuff you know you, you still don't know and the stuff that you're always not going to know and it, it, it's hard like if you've got like a, an athlete that's you know first getting into this stuff and they're trying to research it on their own like and they're not probably not spending anywhere near as much time as what you are as a coach it could take a long time to figure out a lot of this stuff um a lot of this stuff in what sense in like what well, they want in yeah in terms of because yeah like people um as i said it, it's better now but a lot of people don't know what athletic development is so it's like they're going into this loophole they're like they're like it's a whole new world for them when mm. they're trying to figure out oh i've been doing it this way oh okay that like there's some things they might be doing okay but then there's other things that they look at and like they're like that was completely off the mark um but yeah you're right i think it just goes back to um what are the objectives for the for the athlete i guess and are they able to actually consistently follow a program for however long it takes to is that a, is that a sticking point for you much or it could be because you predominantly work with athletes, mm. it's not too much. Uh, yes and no. Like, here's the thing: we're all human, regardless if we're athletes or not. Like, people have different motivations at different times of. Um, and I think a part of it, like the psychological um, aspect of training, is a very, very important one. Mm. And it's something that you can have the best training, best program, but if you're not able to, you know, adhere to it for a long enough time, like it doesn't matter how good you are, you're not going to be able to get that result. And um, it's been interesting. I've been watching a bit of the, the Last Dance over with Michael Jordan. Yeah, I saw the first two episodes. Yeah, I've watched um, all eight. I finished. Damn. Yeah. And it's just been interesting seeing like Tim Grover also wrote a book called Relentless. Yep. Um, which I've read. He's Michael Jordan's trainer for those who yep, don't know. Um, and I guess just looking at the and look, not everyone. Michael Jordan is a, a once in a forever yeah. athlete, pretty much give yeah. or take. Uh, um. But just the lengths that, you know, he was willing to go to 
chase success pretty much and i don't know i just saw the the second episode i don't know if you recall mm. when okay where does that come from right where does everyone's different and for him it came from he wanted acceptance and attention from mm. his father and he wasn't getting that because his brother and he was very competitive and they would fight and he would he would, he would kind of lose out on that attention and that competitiveness was seeded in those moments of kind of trauma in where he, he his father would be very kind of harsh and strict on them and he wouldn't get the, the love and attention he wanted. And so he had to be better. Mm. He had to be the best at something to get that. And that just started the cascade. 100%. And I think it goes back to nature versus nurture, like how much of this stuff's genetic, how much of this is actually yeah. embedded and, and developed through parents, through, uh, you know, different... Uh, peer environments and stuff like that uh, sure. traumatic experiences like that's another thing like you look at a lot of a lot of people that have like you you, you dive deep into some of the best um, you know athlete or not even athletes but people like around a lot of them have like these real not necessarily traumatic but like you know these um, just dark past yeah dark past that they yeah. they kind of that's their that's their fuel to kind of um, you know push 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 pretty much and not everyone has that so I think that's that's it's always interesting. And while you don't want to wish pain and suffering on mm. people and trauma on people, there is a if you can make it out of that, you gain a distinct advantage over the majority of the population mm. who didn't because you have gone through some shit. Yep. You have gone through some serious pain and suffering and once you overcome it, you begin to callous your mind and body in ways that most haven't. So Everything else that most people find difficult is just easier for you 100%. because it's all relative. Yep. Oh, you were raped as a kid. Oh, you were beaten as a kid. Oh, your father left you. Everything yeah. else is clockwork. And I think, look, it doesn't even need to be that extreme. No, it I think, doesn't. Um, you know, I'm extreme. I, yeah. And I know, like, even just playing sport and that, like, you learn a lot more through your failures than what you do from yeah. your successes. And I think yeah. um, that becomes really important that I think generally the people that you know succeed the most are the ones that have you know failed and because that 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 can create in itself not wanting to exp you know because we want to avoid pain move towards pleasure. pleasure what is that sigmund freud or something I don't know, something like that yeah. so like and and that was a lot of things you actually watching the last dance michael jordan a lot of people forget that he lost a lot of championships before he even well yeah one or two championships but he was yeah he had a lot of they lost a lot um, early on, well, early on with the, uh, against Before, the Boston Celtics, yeah, for and um, yeah, I think it was Boston. Um, in, a, in a first round of the playoffs, was it India? Um, no, Detroit. Detroit was another one too. Yeah, remember? They, I don't know if you got that far in, but oh, I haven't yet. But, but I know what's gonna yeah, happen. So they didn't shake their hands after the game. I remember that. Yeah, there was a oh no, that was different. There was this huge brawl between Indiana, I think, and the and the Detroit. Yeah, I don't know. It's like the biggest NBA brawl you'll ever yeah. see. Yeah, Have you seen that? Uh, I don't know. I People, yeah. uh, Ron Artest, you know Ron Artest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's known as like a pretty eccentric yeah. guy. Kind of like modern day, um, uh, oh God, what the fuck's his name? With the colored hair in um, on, on Chicago. Dennis Rodman? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like kind of modern day yeah. Dennis Rodman somewhere. Yeah. And they were jumping into the stands and they were fighting the crowd. Mm, crazy. It's like crazy. That would yeah. never happen now. Um, yeah, um, and oh, it's actually, yeah, good to watch. But, um, yeah, it just showed that, like, you know, like, a lot of his... And I think you, you watch later on, like, a lot of people, like, are, are wondering why, like, Jordan's almost like a tyrant figure. And a lot of them is, like, he's calloused his brain from yeah. those those losses that he's had. He, you know, doesn't want to go back to that, to lose and stuff like that. And I think that was a, a key catalyst to his drive. And I think once he got to the NBA as well, to keep going through. Um, 
But yeah. Well, it was particularly interesting when he got to Chicago. But even before he was Rookie of the Year, mm. he was talking about how he he was nobody when he came on the team, right? Mm. Like, you're a rookie. You, you come yeah. on, these guys don't respect you. You have to earn the respect. And he said, I couldn't talk because I didn't have a voice. I had to be. I had to, like, I had to act the mm. part. I had to be and act and let that drive uh, my kind of speech for me yep. without saying anything. And I think, you know, not everyone has the loudest voice out there, but I think you can gain a lot of respect at different, just from, you know, leading by your, your yeah. leading by example and your Absolutely. actions and stuff like that. So I think, um, yeah, let your actions do the talking, I think. And I think that that's a huge takeaway. And I think um, there, there's a quote I love by Ralph Water Emerson. Um, what is it? The world can't, the world can't hear words. Oh, damn it. Yeah. The world can't hear a word you're saying. Oh, fuck it. I C- fucked can't it. help you out there. I got no idea. <laughs> That's okay. But the point is to be the change. The point right. is, you know, you want to be the change you want to see in the world. Um, and he got to that team early on, and he recognized that. And in in a couple of weeks of him of him realizing that, he was they were regarding him as the best player on the team, mm-hmm. the management. And I'm like, what? Already? I'm like. Because he just flicked a switch and he just decided, like, because a lot of the guys, I don't think were as serious as him. Mm. And then he just, he took it up to the next level. And there's just those types of people who just transform themselves at all costs. They will be the best. Yeah, 100%. And I think... um yeah, I think that's a very um, and it's a very intrinsic thing too. I think um, a lot of you actually. I think I remember reading the book somewhere, but like, Oops, sorry, yeah, sure. Uh, Tim Grover goes on about who's who's Jordan's coach. He goes yeah. on about how because um, he also trained Kobe Bryant and um, Dwayne Wade. Yes, um, and he goes on about how like a lot of the the best have like this dark side within them that you know that they don't always show to the public. Like that, but when they they go out when it. Um, you know, and that's what that what fuels them, I think, pretty much. So, yeah, it's always interesting to see how they, yeah. Was that an Iowa shirt at the moment? Yeah, that's right. That's when I was in uh, Iowa, the coldest state I've ever been to yep. with Christian. We went to go see uh, the college campus there and watch their football team. How would you find the, the, the college system? Bro. Bro. Because I think this could be an interesting sort of little conversation. Comparing, okay. Yeah. So... To compare, I went to the Australian College of Basketball, which is kind of our, it was our version of kind of the, a college. I did my a dipl- my first diploma there uh, for a year, um, paid a lot of money, but it was an amazing, best experience for me for personal development and, and basketball development because I wanted nothing more than to be that, what mm. Michael became. Yep. Um, and I'm going to take a side detour. He said something along the lines of, when he hit that uh, game-winning shot for North Carolina in mm, college, yep, do you remember yep, that? Yep. He said after it, that was the moment he needed to, to just spark his confidence. And I look back on my... And you have no context on like what... Yeah. But just imagine a kid from 15 years old, month, for years, five years, he just every day towards this thing. Mm. And I think when I reflect on it, it's like, well, I don't think I ever had that spark that ignited that confidence for me because the the biggest enemy and friend is between your two ears. And if you, if you don't make that thing work for you, it will work against you. And for me, I I never had that moment 
that spark, that confidence. So it was always an uphill battle against myself. And I'm like, yes, Michael had that. He created that. He had that game-winning shot. And I think everybody needs to, once you can find that and cultivate that moment that just sparks your confidence, you're off. Hmm. 100%. And I think it just goes back to, as well, um, putting yourself in that position more often than not to be able to give you a chance. Because like, here's the thing. I'm sure everyone's had a situation where they've done something that they probably didn't think that they were able to do and the confidence that they developed from that. What's, the, what's that for you? Uh, I don't know. I think a, a big thing for me was taking a leap and um, even right after the internship and start subcontracting here, which was, you know, zero clients yeah. up on the wall straight away. Like you've got to start making, well, not that I was under pressure anyway. I was living, I'm living at home. And but it's your own pressure you're putting Correct. yourself, right? And, and here's the thing, like, a lot of the other coaches here had to, you know, were, were like, like they were able to go through the system and, you know, work for Christian, have a bit more security through that. You know, it's more work by the hour. I had to go out, get my clients. And if I didn't develop a skill set that, um, you know, allowed me to do that, well, then you're kind of fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you, you sink or you swim. Correct. And I think, you know, putting that pressure on myself and being able to actually, you know, um, perform well, get results for clients, and you know like i think that's a very rewarding thing and you know the more that you learn and stuff like that you actually you start to develop confidence as a coach and i guess even as a business owner to a certain extent that you know you can like cause it seems like a big daunting task when yeah. you go into it which it is but you just develop skills confidence as you go through one day at a time one client at a time 100 percent. like um, uh, why did you decide to do the the rent and subcontract instead of because a lot of people would be in that position where they have that decision to make. Why did you decide that instead of become a coach? Uh, was that even was that well, offered? No, Is something it you could wasn't. Ask? Wasn't offered. And look, the thing was, I was first year uni at the time, so I just um, left Hungry Jacks. Mum and Dad old were Edmonds at Hungry oh, Jacks. Mate, like, Sir, ma'am, would you like your? That was actually. Yeah, what no. was the go-to order? Mate, I was at the back. I was the freaking chef. Um, that humbles you, man. Yeah, 100%. I used to work at a burger joint um, too. And look, to be honest, I didn't last that long. I lasted a few months. I didn't enjoy it that much. But yeah, so like I was kind of, and I went through after that, straight after that, I went into my internship, which um, at the time, I don't even know why I did. I was on the train or something like that. And I saw the intern, um, I was like 18 at the time. Like all the other guys were like 21, 22, pretty much. So I was a lot younger than a lot of those guys coming through. And I'm like, I don't know, I've got nothing else to do. Might as well <laughs> give it a crack. Like, you uni, uni, like here's the thing, like uni, else to do. starting at, like going from school to uni, it was completely different. Like yeah. you just had so much more time on your house. I was just getting bored. Cause and you were first year uni already? Yep. And um, Exercise science? Yep. Um, so you had and, an interest and, in yeah, it? Yeah, and teaching. So double degree. Yeah. Oh, um, okay, teaching. Yep. And yeah, and like obviously I'd, I'd followed a lot of Christian stuff, um, you know, through year 11, year 12, because I had a few injuries playing football and stuff like that which, you know, you just see it pop up. And that's how a lot of people, you know, like they, they have a, an, an issue that they want fixed and then they, they see something that could have the solution for it and they dig deeper. And I kind of just enjoyed it because a lot of things that I didn't do as a junior athlete, pretty much, um, what Christian was seeing and stuff like that. And mm. I'm like, it makes sense. And you learn a bit more, learn a bit more. And eventually, um, yeah, like led me into the exercise science course, which is always interesting when you're sitting down at your course um, counselling meeting with, you know, your year 12 coordinators and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, exercise science. Uh. Oh, are you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, <laughs> uh. But like, like I had the teaching, like, I'd, and look, that was, 
that was a large reason why I did the teaching as well because um, I don't know for a bit of security from that standpoint. But that's the that's the here's the thing: if you're doing like kinesiology, exercise mm. um, kinesiology for Americans, uh, exercise science, health science, um, there is no perceivable like benefit from a job perspective after mm. that. You become nothing. Correct. You're right. It it's a weird degree. Yep. Um, and I think like going into the internship, I didn't really have any idea like what i wanted to get out of it um why'd you do it then well i don't know i don't know i I think yeah i don't know it's a question i think um i'll go back to the the hungry jacks example before that so i just finished up there and then i sort of had a bit more time on my hands through the internship um but i don't know something about i always loved physical prep like i was always the type of kid at 13 14 who would go out for runs train hard i fucking um, love when i see those kids run through yeah, the street by themselves correct. i'm like um, fucking respect and, and i'm very lucky i had some very good friends who some of them i trained today actually which is actually um convenient one of my closest mates peter who he's Shout an out. afl rookie umpire at the moment so hopefully one day you can get on the big stage but i don't know we'll see how we go but like it's just good like going through um you know like those junior ranks like pushing yourself and i think you develop a lot of that those good values um and I think it even started earlier, like with dad getting me out the door and, um, you know, like encouraging me to, you know, and I loved it. I loved going for runs with dad, going for the kick at a footy, That's playing awesome. cricket and yeah. stuff like that. And I think you just, and here's the thing, you start to associate hard work with success too. And I think growing up, I wasn't never the biggest kid, still aren't the biggest kid, but... Um, not yet. Not yet. Um, <laughs> but like, I was, you know, I never hit puberty early or anything like that. So I think... Still waiting? Yep, still waiting. Um <laughs> But yeah, like I always had to work hard because I was never like a naturally big kid or anything like that. Yeah. So if, like in order for me to do well, I had to work hard to achieve I resonate good things with that. pretty much. So um, yeah, and I think, you know, going back to the Woodford, like, I don't know, like seeing how that worked and having the science behind it and actual, you know, it was something that really gravitated towards me. And I don't know, I just thought I'd take a, a punt at that. I think some moments you just like, you see something and you're young. Yeah, I don't know why. And you just say yes. Yeah. So why not? Yeah. Um, anyway, I finished the internship and mum and dad were hassling me to get a job because I wasn't working. Go back to Hungry Jack's, Jay. Yeah. So, and I didn't want to do that. And I'm like, oh, shit. and I did I did a bit of like furniture delivery stuff over that summer. And I'm like, oh. right, I can get you pretty jacked. Yeah. If you eat well. And look, I didn't mind it, but I'm like, I don't know. This is not what I want to do. So I've got to get a job somewhere. And then this is literally like the subcontracting gig opened up. And I'm like, so how did they advertise that? How did you even know about uh, that? So I think it was at the end of the internship. Um, uh they just offered it like to the class yeah and not many people wanted to take that risk in the like at that stage they wanted to just go through and a lot of people wanted to go to perhaps elite sport i don't think that's necessarily what i want to do to a certain better unless, crawl before you ball yeah correct and i think um yeah and no, i think just um taking that punt i think um was probably the best thing i've ever done man you know, I know, like, I've, I've just, I've learned so much over the last three or four years, and I think, you know, you change as a person, going down a complete different rabbit hole, what you think you probably could have gone down, um, and yeah, I love it, so. Good for you, man. Yeah. Um, you just said yes to that, that one decision. Yeah. You said, fuck it, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, correct. And so those moments, we all have those moments, right? Mm. Um, yeah, but I don't know where we'll go on before that, um, in terms of like, yeah, but. I know, but I want to go, f- I want to dig further. Mm. Uh, in this because now it's been three four years later now you're here and you have a 
I've, it's been interesting because we haven't, when you first started subcontracting at Woodford's, you're a pretty quiet, introverted guy. I think you pr- you would admit that, yeah. right? You're not. You're definitely not like a overt Christian Woodford type no. character. And you're a guy who like kind of flew under the radar. I don't know if you talked to many of the coaches back when you started for the first year or two. And at least we didn't talk that much. Mm. And then since over the last year, probably that's when obviously we've gotten to know each other a lot more. And then it's shown me that, and I think it shows everybody by just being the example that, hold on, you don't have to be, have a fucking banner of your body and face on the building and have that character disposition to and be extroverted to be successful as a health coach or strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, I understand. And I think, um, and this goes back to, I guess, knowing yourself a little bit more, but here's the thing. If I try and be Christian Woodford, I'm not going to be Christian Woodford. No, in fact, you'll be much worse than Correct. who you are because you're not being genuine. 100%. I think that goes back to a lot of things on social media where people are trying to be who they are. And I think I know who I am. I know what I'm trying to achieve um, with my goals. And, and I think it's almost like that focus of kind of what you're trying to do. I don't need to kind of show off or yeah. do that. And not necessarily like whatever fuels you, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think I've always been a bit like that. I've always been a sort of a, a head down, bum up kind of person um get to work yeah pretty much and yeah does it does it make you think that well why do i even post on social media then you could you could take a route of like just you could be like a silent killer like ellis Hmm. um yeah but look the way i think about it is and even particularly over this online period and and before that like the amount of people that yeah business yeah and and not just that but the amount of people that you can help you know yes 100 percent. and you get messages every day like um you know oh like you've helped me so much with your training, like, you know, all, all the content. And you don't think about it when you're no. doing it. And like, I remember back when I was posting for two, two and a half years and I had like 300 followers. Say that again, man. Um, and all like, and I was putting good stuff out, like a lot of the time. It goes under the radar. Correct. And you're like, fuck, no, why is no one seeing this? And it doesn't matter. Look, and I think over the last six to 12 months or so, like, you know, you start to get a bit more, like, not that, you know, I've got many followers anyway, but like, you know, you start to build a little bit more, you start to build a bit of a brand. Yeah. And you know, all that knowledge that you've done beforehand still carries on with you with all the new stuff that you're learning and then all of a sudden you get in front of more eyes and then people are like, it's good shit. Um, Did the work and you're willing to, I wish you couldn't see it. I, w- I want to hide all the followers. I don't want to look at it. I don't correct. even want it to seep into my mentality. 100%. And there's a reason why I follow zero people and why I'm not active on Strength Aside right at the moment. Yeah. And it's tied into those principles um, because I, we, I just want to think you would agree. I just wanted to make it about just delivering the exciting th- things that mm. i'm interested in and letting i uh, letting everybody who who's interested taking value from it let me share what my curiosity and things that i'm trying to excel at and you can just take what's valuable yeah 100 percent. and i think a lot of the stuff that i post as well is just literally what i'm learning at the time exactly and you're just like you're documenting yeah and like you know wh- however it receives is what it is whatever you know, like you start to look back and you're like, you look through your post and you're like, oh, that was a good post. Yeah, I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, like, and you just go through and you're like, you know, if you feel like if one person can gain some value out of it, which, you know, if people, and you're like, well, surely there's other people out there that are going to gain from that as well. So I think social media is an interesting one. I think, look, to be honest, I, the, 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 I don't like social media in the fact that um, how it's run and the, I guess the, the um, I guess the freaking, the amount of junk shit that's on it and how it saps a lot of energy from a lot of people. Like you look at young, young, um, 
young kids coming up the ranks, like literally you can't get their phone off them. They're just there 24 seven on their phone pretty much. And it's just, it's like there's people literally on, at Instagram or all these different apps that are, you know, spending every minute of the day trying to find ways to make it the most engaging thing and the most addicting um, source so people can literally avoid getting off their phone. And I think if you can sort of take that step back from social media and use it more from a business standpoint rather than a cons- consuming sort of way, I think that's important. But you've got to be able to have that barrier. Mm. How, you, how are you using it? Because um, it, it can, you can get caught in a, in a habit of just scrolling. Yeah, mindlessly. I but, mean, everybody's done it. And you've got to... You stop and you're like, wait, hold on. You look at the, people literally. They'll look at the time. Mm. An hour will go for some people. Yep. Half an hour, two, whatever. And I'm like, whoa, that's life. And gone. Um, yeah, hundred percent. And I guess comparison as well, which is also yes. I think a big one. Where not necessarily like as I said, if you know like um, a lot of people that perhaps haven't quite um, developed their identity, particularly young teenagers as well, like males, females. You know, especially f- the fitness industry is fucking shit out. Like, I, I, like, oh man, like the amount of, it, it, the amount of stuff that you see on there that people, oh, I, I want to look like her. Well, how come she's fit? Like, I, I think I saw a thing. It was like some girl from Love Island, like my sister was showing me or something like that. The girl had no, um, and I actually respect her for what, like, she had no like background in like training or anything like that. And she made like a post on a on her story or something like that about how. Um, there were people on her followers like, oh, can you put out like workout programs? It's like, she's got no background in training or anything like that. But here's the thing, like people just like, you look fit, can I buy your product? doesn't matter what you what you know or anything like that. Um, and you, have a, you have to have a lot of integrity to then mm. turn that down. And she did. That's, and, and, that, oh, and that's what respect. I respect. Yeah, she was like, I'm not a trainer. I'm not putting out info. Oh, that, I love that. There's, a, not, there's not enough of that, I no. think. You um, know why? Because people see money. Yeah. They see influence. They see uh, acumen and respect that they can gain. Oh, I'm starting a business now. Oh, people want to buy my shit. Correct. And I think I saw a lot of things. Um, James Smith, you know, James Smith PT. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think it was might have been the swimmer's body illusion. Uh, how it's like swimmers are good because of how um, like of like their body shape and like stuff like that. Not because um, oh, Kind of not remember. because they've trained to develop yeah that. correct or something like that so like um like, again, and people like i oh, like the body of swimmer and then like but the body of the swimmers gets attracted to the yeah, sport 100 percent. um and i i think that it's like the same thing with like uh personal trainers they're like people like say oh you're fit so just because yeah like that means that you should become a coach pretty much well no like and i think people associate they mistake correlation like for like you know for causation that you know just because you're fit doesn't necessarily mean that you know what you're talking about, um, potentially. Sometimes. How do we bridge that gap? Because I just look. I don't think. And here's the thing. I'm lucky. I'm not trying to preach to the general pop. That's why I don't enjoy training it a lot, to be honest. Just because um, I don't know. I've always enjoyed training athletes, and I think there's less fluff to a certain extent. There's less. And and here's the thing too. Like if you get Jay a, Edmonds just calls seven billion people fluff. Not necessarily. Like there are good. Um, <laughs> There are good, um, you know, coaches out there and stuff. Even like, I know a lot. Um, Coach Carroll's a good one on there. Um, James Smith's pretty good. Um, Jordan Syatt's good. Like, there's a lot of these guys that are putting out really good information for general population people who, but like, they're very raw and authentic. They are who they are, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of people trying to be who they're not trying to be. And I think that's where you start to get that disconnect. And I'm going to make a, I'm going to use an example uh, 
in a respectful way and I, when I explain this he'll know what I'm talking about uh, Christokranus mm. and he makes me think of this and you talk about a guy who's coming up the ranks a really young enthusiastic passionate young personal trainer who is looked at guys above him and this is what we all do this is what I did when I started too and you take influence from the character disposition and the qualities of people you admire okay for example I did Will Smith right when I was younger I began to adopt some of his mannerisms when I'd watch a lot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air right my my voice the sound of my voice this is not how I sounded when I was younger it's been adapted to living in America and to absorbing American content this is this is I don't sound typically Australian, okay? We become our influence. And so he's a guy I think of when it's like you see his passion and hand gestures and, and all this and you see, oh, that's a bit of Christian. That's a bit of this guy. That's mm. a bit of that guy. And then because that's all you know. You have to become your own person through, I think, going through that. You, you, you know, no, we're all a blank slate through our influences. Yep, 100%. Do you see that? Yep, 100%. Um Trying to think, I'm thinking of a, a quote that. Um, yeah, I fucked up quotes too before. Yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get it, <laughs> but um, yeah, like we are. And here's the thing, like when people talk about like what's your identity and like what what's your um, uh, I guess what are your beliefs? Well, your beliefs have been ingrained from what you've learnt, not necessarily your beliefs. Oh yeah, so I like, don't think I'm me. Yeah, correct. You're, you're not, not and, you. that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I think you, you've got to find that, um, you know, you're just um. A process of what you've consumed over the course of yeah. 20 odd years or whatever and, and when you really think about that like i am not alexander like alexander is he is a product of genetics and a product of every every environmental influence over his lifetime mm. i am an amalgamation of all those people who have influenced me and my genetics have just expressed that in a unique way. Like, I'm not me. I am other people. I am my elders, my mentors, my... Like, I am at, I'm at the behest of honor of them. I'm able to be me. Yeah. I know it sounds yeah, a bit woo, yeah, that's right. but, yeah. like, that's how that's how it is. Yeah, and I think... I don't know. You, you hear the, the phrases, fake it till you make it as well, which I think there there is an extent to that. Um, and I think particularly with social media, to a certain extent, like, putting out videos, a lot of the time, it's not always what people comfortably, you know want to do like you know i mean like you have to stand it but at times you've got to make sure that you know you're able to get your message across and if you're not you know putting out enough energy and stuff like that perhaps your message can can get lost in in, in the process but i think mm. that becomes a part of you and i think yeah you could say something with chris like i think that's just become a part of who he is becoming i think exactly so um yeah i don't know i don't yeah <laughs> it, is <what> it, is. <laughs> it is what it is and it is what it isn't Correct. well now what got us onto that topic uh, There's some is your journey really, maybe. Yeah, yeah you, you subcontracted and you got hired at Woodford's, and you skew towards introversion. You mm. realize that you don't have to be, you can be authentically yourself and still be successful. Mm. Yeah, not that I'm successful, but anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you're successful in your own way, right? Yeah. Oh. Let, let me say it like this: you are able to earn a comfortable living uh, as a someone in their early twenties. You don't have to talk about how much money you mm. make, but when when you tr you can make a, a really good living from being a coach and trainer, okay? Yep. But big but, we're all gonna you're gonna do the but. I'll do the but. You do the but, and then I'll do the but. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> you add like is 
how can I not say cliches? Because it's cliches. Like, you have to fucking earn it, mm. right? Five years into this, I'm finally have a, I finally feel like I'm getting my worth and value as a coach. Five years in. I was doing all types of free shit for the first like four years, um, programming for free, hours of my time. I'm sure you were similar in your own ways. Still out to a certain extent. Well, there you go. Yep. And then you get to a point, or maybe you continue to do it because you're just such an upstanding uh, civilian to society, or maybe just, uh, whatever reason it is. Um, for me, it's like I realize time is life and life is finite. And if I'm going to exchange my life, I need to be getting something in exchange. However, it doesn't always have to be money. It can be like intrinsic reward. I can feel good. I, don't, I, I think at the end of the day, I don't know if anything's really selfless. You know, this mm. is a big philosophical question, but you know, you, you write those programs for free, right? There's always an outcome we're looking to get to help other people, yep. but there's always something coming 100%. back. It's an exchange. Correct. And you never know. Like, here's the thing. You put out like, and, and, and you look at like, I guess the, even the buying process of a client, like you think about it very rarely do people buy it the first time they see your page or the first, oh, yeah. first piece of content that you put out. Yeah. That can take multiple... Ex- I read something what like is... That. Seven? Seven or eight. I think it's something like that. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that. You must like, be right then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like the more information you put out, the more that they sort of get to know you, like trust. Um, I think you eventually, like it might be six months from now, it might be 12 months from now, that free program that you put out might have been the catalyst to getting that person to perhaps want to do business with you so you can help them in You've the long had run. that, right? Yeah, 100%. You're, ha- you're having it now yes. in this time, right? Yeah, correct. Yes. People are messaging you. They're asking you to coach you. Yeah. You're going to be on this. This might be the seventh time someone watches you Maybe. or it might be the first. Could be. It depends on how... That's people, a seed. Yeah. Um, but look, I don't think about it too much in that. I just think about creating and putting stuff out, which I think that's another thing that I've really enjoyed about subcontracting and I guess kind of almost, you know, running your own little business is that the world's your oyster. Mm. You can literally think of an idea... Well, at, at 11 p.m. at night or laying in bed and you're like, oh, I'll try it. Does it work? Mate, I've tried that much stuff. What have you done? Oh, mate, I've put out stuff early on. Like I tried general pop stuff. I put out, um, you know, different um, options to start programs and like come down and train. And then you have people like zero people, like just no, like I spent like eight hours putting this stuff together, like this, this thing and not one person like, Download and that it. and that happens, like yeah. you know what I mean. And I think it's a bitter pill. A lot of people early on would be like, "No, nah, this is too hard. Like, I don't like that. Avoid fear. Move towards pleasure." Um, but I think you know, you learn that y- you can't associate your value as a person based off one um, particular outcome. Yeah. Like, Great and his thing. Six months later, I put something out, and three or four people, or five people, like, even the PDFs that I put out, like I had. I think there was like across the three PDFs, there was like 650 people that downloaded my PDFs. Where if I put that something out like three years ago, we might've got one or two. <laughs> but like, it, it, you know, like- I And think you might you look five years from now and be like, yeah, now like, it's 50,000. Maybe, I don't know. It will be. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, on the rate you're going. Um, not quite. Um, pumping you up. But you know what I mean? Like you can't associate your value. And this is important for a lot of young coaches coming up. And I think personal trainers, whatever. You can't associate how many likes you get, how many comments you get, how many shares you get, how many followers you get. You can't associate with the work that you're doing because a lot of people associate their value based off how many followers they have, how many clients they have, blah, blah, blah. Like there are some amazing coaches out there that have very little followers and I follow them on social media as well. And I think if they just, yeah, I think um, 
yeah, it's just the um, you've got to understand that you know, yeah, your, your value isn't necessarily based. Well, on, because yeah. value is not synonymous with uh, superficial authority, mm. superficial influence, Correct. right? They can be. They're not. Um, they're mutually exclusive. Mm. They can be. They can be separate. Uh, however. It's a classic, you know, do you remember in English class, in all English classes, they'll teach these basic appeals, appeals to authority, mm, appeals to yeah. patriotism. Yep. Um, it is a subconscious appeal to authority when you see 500,000, 50,000, whatever high amount of uh, influence and followers somebody has. That gives you a perceived sense of trust automatically, right? Versus the opposite, okay? Mm. So these, these social media plays on our reptilian brain in a lot of ways. 100%. Um. Yeah. Um, you don't have to say anything on that. Yeah, I don't know There's nothing to say on that. that yeah. But what I wanted to, you were talking about before I brought that up, um, social media, uh, giving value. Oh, yeah, and the but, and, and the but. Yeah. Um, oh, about coaches and that. Yeah. Um, a lot of work for free is yeah. going to happen. Now I think it's like. Yeah. It's almost expected, mm. um, which I think is pro and con because I don't know. Is there that many other industries where you're almost expected to work for free uh, f- for long periods of time? It's it's a different industry where it's like the value is quite low mm. for the average trainer, and then you just hit a you hit like a kind of a spark, and it's like okay, now now we're going. Do you feel that? Uh, yeah, and look. I feel sorry for a lot of um, SNC coaches that are trying to make a living in the actual um, sporting sector, not necessarily the private sector, but elite sport. Yeah, um, like the amount of hours and that that you put in travel, programming, yeah, extras, staying around, setting up. Like it ends up being ten, oh, fifteen dollars an hour. Yep, like it's bogus. Yep, and here's the thing: I'm lucky that I'm young at the moment, and this is like like my thought process going through this was the younger I start, the more time I have. Cause by the time, you know, you get into your, your mid to late twenties, like you're going to be start thinking about moving out. You've got, to, you might start a family. Like there's a lot of expenses that you need to be able to, like life is expensive to a certain extent. So life is only as expensive as your expenses. Well, yeah. hundred percent. Um, and you're right. Like you, you can live off. I know like people go live in freaking Bali or stuff like that off. Twenty dollars a day, or ten dollars a day, or something like that. Or twenty dollars a day, I think. Like you definitely, you, you definitely you ain't bulking on that fucking diet. Yeah, hundred <laughs> shit cheap over there. But um, yeah, like I, I, like you know what I mean. Like I think the problem is if you're not trying to set like um, this is why I think the private sector is important. Even if you want to go elite sport, like look look what's happened now. People have lost jobs. Oh yeah, and it's chaos. Yeah, and then they're not just elite sport. All over the Correct. world, hundred percent. So a lot of entrepreneurs talk about pivoting at the moment which oh is pivot um <laughs> it's like a cliche oh, mate, it's, yeah have but, you pivoted yet jay oh look but here's the thing i was already doing a little bit of online stuff anyway before yeah. but i've probably gone a bit harder on it now but look um and, and we spoke about this before yeah but like the, the way i see the problem with online training is a lot of it is associated with cookie cutter programming that people chuck out a program off you go and then do it for ten dollars yeah ten dollars off you go whatever um, which, to be honest, coaching-wise, may work, may not. Depends on the... Well, the if you've situation. never done anything, it's likely going to work. Yeah. 
um, for a period of time. But like I look at it, like you know, personal training, strength and conditioning, one on one, especially off coaches that um, know their value a bit and actually charge a bit what they're worth. Because I know coaches like, and I, I was the same like when I first started, like I was charging like thirty bucks a session pretty much. But here's the thing, I had to do that at the start, otherwise you weren't going to train anyone. But once you build value over time, you know you can start to increase. How do you figure out your worth? Because yeah, something where I teach um, running the Cert Three and Four mm-hmm. through Orphic is that question comes up in our business module and how do you figure it out? Uh, good question. Well, I think number one, let me mm. let me lay some framework. It's gonna ramp up relative, okay, no, number one is people are only, you're only worth what people are willing to pay. Mm. And you can only know that if you test, yep. okay? So you need to test the spectrum. Number two is... Demand to a certain extent. Go on, yeah. Well, look, if you're getting enough people coming in, you content. You can. Yeah. And you can change things. Yeah. If you don't have that luxury, you can tend to compromise a little bit. And I, th- I think that's uh, what you see if young coaches, if they see a, a client potentially doesn't want to do service with you, they start bartering and they're like, oh, fuck that. No. Nah. Um, I get it though. But what do you think about that? That that's doesn't resonate with me. No. Um, unless, like, you know what I've done in this situation with the restrictions, pandemic. I'll coach you for free. You can pay me later. Mm. Like I, I want to keep the needle yeah, moving for and people. I'll, yeah, and I'll, I've I've done different aspects of that as well through that this period as well. But um, I think you, there's always people willing to pay what you're worth to a certain extent. It's just about finding. And if people aren't willing to pay for your service, they're probably not ready yet potentially, or their situation might they might not see the value at the moment. That might not. They're that usually might gonna. It's it's like the pain has to be. Yeah, correct. large enough yeah. to solve their problem. Um, yeah, and and look, look, everyone's going through. Everyone goes through. Everyone's living in different situations. Some people have finance, like different financial. Um, uh, they're in different financial situations, I guess. So I guess you know you can't judge it by face value. But, um, but yeah, as I said, like one-on-one coaching, particularly once you're at uh, you know a reasonable level, can be expensive to train multiple times a week. And we talk about how frequencies. Arguably one of the most important variables to, well, pretty much is the most yeah. important You need to do variable. the thing. You need to do it multiple times, yeah, to, um, to get results. And, you know, most of the time we see people here once, if we're lucky, maybe twice a week, potentially. Um, whereas at the moment, like as I said, like with a lot of the online training at the moment, like people are able to train a lot more than perhaps what they have for a little bit cheaper. I and think. that's the big mistake I made. But it goes back to quality as well. Yeah, but go on. Yep. No, no, okay, go. No, no, okay. Thank you. Um, that's the big mistake I feel like I made as a, as a young coach when I didn't have the system mm. in place. Yes, and that's another thing, yep. Right? When we, now, what I'd been doing, once I created, uh, I got home from, what did I do? I got home from Singapore from my exchange and that's when I started, I built strengthasad.com mm. and I built like a hub. You know, people ask you so many questions about your service, mm. right? Well, who are you? What do you do? Da, 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 da. All these, like, how much is it? What do you get? For me, it's quite comprehensive. I'm not like a Christian where it's just a one-on-one, see you later. Yeah. Put you on true coach. Jeremy Borzillo can hook it up. <laughs> I don't have I don't have Jeremy Borzillo doing my fucking work. Uh, um, <laughs> that's funny. Good man, I miss him. Yeah, man. We'll get you on the, we'll get you back on the, on the chimps, uh, Brick, if you're listening. Um, he's probably smiling right now. He listens. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't have the system. And so when I built mm. that, I highly recommend it for like you, for everybody to, it just streams. Like I don't have to fucking say anything. Yeah. I have everything set up now. Oh, how do you read my programs? I made a video on how mm. to do it. 
So now it's streamlined. Yeah. I want to get myself out of the picture as much as possible so it can remove any barriers to entry. Yeah. I list my prices, okay? Some people don't. At Orphic, we don't list our cert prices mm. because we use, uh, we kind of vet people on the phone. It's a very large kind of price point compared yeah. to a one-on-one. Yep. Anyway, point is, we just did one-on-ones. Most coaches mm. just do one-on-ones and there's no like, I used to just write programs for free right it's fine i want experience i'm gonna i'm gonna eat some shit i'm gonna write some programs i'm gonna get that experience as we do however it gets to a point where you get client of client of client to client you spend fucking hours and hours and it's like oh shit um and as your expertise increases your skill increases someone wants four or five programs damn i don't know about you but i don't i don't sit for i'm not like ellis where i sit for 10 minutes 15 minutes and write a program i've my Excel documents are fucking intricate and complex with, with the, all these cells and numbers I, I record. Um, not that that's necessary, but then you realize, okay, combine the service now for me is what Ellis kind of sparked in me, the one-on-one and the online together. I was just charging for programming after I was doing it for free. Hey, you want one program per week? Here's an extra one for this much. Then I combine them one-on-one and online together okay this is a combined service so you send feedback i send you feedback videos weekly check-ins um f- the full communication with me that's all covered for this price you get as many programs as you want individualized and you can see me as little or as much as you want mm. so then when this shit happens and people suddenly can't afford one-on-ones as much they have a pivot point to go down to the online as well to yep. keep people going 100 percent. and i think it goes back to your systems. So obviously, when it comes to online coaching, and I guess like I'd call it high-end online coaching, if you want, or like, yeah, basically where, you know, they're getting a pretty good service. I feel like you do need to earn your time to develop your skill sets, develop your craft so that, because here's the thing, if you're not seeing someone regularly and they just send a video of, you need to be able to be clear and concise and have coaching cues, progressions, regressions in place to be able to, get the outcome for the for the athlete so and i think if you try and rush that too early without getting coaching experience i think rush what part coaching developing skill sets instead of like at the moment like you know what i mean like sure we have the luxury to be able to do um because a lot of people like potentially young coaches reading oh i want to be an online coach now. <laughs> they start off yeah maybe, without ever like, having or like yeah like potentially they might start and like oh, i just do online training and i think um Shit, that's weird to me. Yeah, but th- mate, there's a lot of them out there. Um, most people, like you look at... Um, I think that's the wrong order, man. 100% it's the wrong order. Um, <laughs> and good luck trying to like do you well got, with it. Like um, there's nuances, man. you got to learn in correct. person. Um, but no, you're right, 100%. And I think, um, yeah, whether that's, you know, you have that hybrid model where it's more, you know, you have that face-to-face and that online service that could work quite well because, as I said, they can. it gives them... Uh, th- they get to pick from the menu what suits their situation best. Yeah. And there's always an option that you still feel that you can get the best result for them regardless of the option. Like you don't need to see me or you even once a week. Yeah, and there's a lot of things at the moment, like especially with conditioning stuff at the moment, like I don't need to go sit down no. and, and put out cones for Broke. my cones. And People fucking charge for that. Correct. And, the, fucking yeah. and, and But look, here's the thing. They're charging for the accountability you know and, what? And, and the program. You're 100% right. Yeah. I, I, put, I take that back. Yeah, and look. Um, my bad. If that means it gets okay. them out the door to actually do the session. 100%. Yeah. Um, Great But point. a lot of my, my clients have like GPS watches and stuff like that. I, I can literally yeah. say run it 
four minute case so base. what we're trying to say is we don't want to unnecessarily you don't want to just stand there for the session doing nothing mm. um when you your client and athletes autonomous enough to do yeah, it themselves 100%. you um, want them to be autonomous correct and it saves you time saves them time and money i guess to that extent um which means you can then direct that time into other things that can help overall, I think, as well. So yeah. I think especially as a coach, like, um, especially as a strength conditioning coach, like, you work weird hours, or p- as a PT anyway, like, you work weird hours. You need to be very, you need to have a system in place um, so that, you know, you can, you're not working freaking, because if you're working 40, 50 hours, a week, including programming that, like, you could be, like, if you're, if you're bu- fully booked, like, you've got nowhere to go like you know what i mean some of these people might be better off going online so you can create more space for yeah. people that and then it could work like as, as a thing like once they've built up the skill set perhaps you, they don't need as much one-on-one attention correct and then they filter through to the online stuff and i think that's a, a win-win because they get more programming from that it's cost effective but you got to be able to get results and, and to be honest like i've actually been able to get some extremely good results purely because of that frequency not necessarily because i think the, the programming is anything yeah unbelievable just because people aren't doing the the getting the dose response Correct. every day 100 percent. and i think things like you can make big improvements pretty quickly if you're consistent over a long period of time like when i say quickly i mean like three to six months yep, yep yeah yep so that might seem like a while but in terms of like it can take um if you look at in terms of an athlete's actual athletic development career yeah. like if they're starting it 11 or 12 like getting someone fit isn't that hard especially if they have an okay level of um baseline of fitness like you spend eight weeks on a six to eight weeks on a program conditioning like they're gonna get fit um yet people spend whole years just trying to get fitter for like the smallest gains after a while i'm like wouldn't you be better off using that time to developing things like strength speed and it goes the other way we get point of diminishing returns once you can fucking squat and deadlift two times your body weight fucking chill out yeah 100% like um and i think yeah that just goes back and and i think it goes back to too like with junior athletic development as well which is a topic that um i i love i love like coaching my junior kids 10 year olds 11 year olds and it's just why is that for you what does it do for you uh i don't know i think it's just it's very rewarding to be able to kind of um you know, I, I think you can kind of mold kids a little bit at that age. Like you can sort of, like you see it when a kid feels like they can't do something and then you kind of show them they can do it and you just see that little bit of confidence that grows daily, daily, daily. And every session you see them build as a person, not necessarily like as an athlete because they will get better yeah. as an athlete. Person but, first. And I think, yeah, 100%. And I think training is a fantastic way to develop. Um, it's the, the, a great analogy for life. Like, you know I mean, like you have to Absolutely. put in the work to, to get the results. Um, and I think it's a great, um, you know, getting your kids in a, in a program or anything. It doesn't matter what if it's martial arts or gymnastics or sport. You or know whatever. what you're looking for? You're mm. looking for a vehicle for consistent discipline through exposing yourself to voluntary discomfort. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, like, you, you, you can control that as much as you want. Damn, like that's fucking can, gold. Yeah, 100%. that's it. <laughs> Isn't that it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Shit. Yeah, and, and I think just seeing that that progress of like kids that perhaps aren't necessarily the most talented kids going through, but because you've got so much time with them and you've got you can develop them. Like by the time they're you know you start like over time you see shit this kid, um, you know has made so much progress in that. And I think too like it sets the foundation. Like as they get older, like and, and this is another thing too. Like it's a bit off topic, but I look at like the ACL preventions in female sport, like they're wondering why like the acl rates are so high like in all honesty 
in order to fully maximize an athlete's like to every single quality like it's like a 10-year process like it doesn't stop and you're expecting like you know one preseason one to fix pre- it all. and it's not even a pre- it's like a six to eight week preseason where these girls have done nothing they've they've done no physical prep work and you're trying to literally teach them how to crawl because athletic like and here's the thing people associate how good you are at your sport with athletic development and even though you know sport is an expression of movement and there is going to be links between but the um, skill is different the skill is different and being able to like who teaches you how to jump who teaches you how to land who teaches you how to accelerate decelerate change direction you know when it should be done Fuck the high school. Let's take it back further. Yeah. Why don't we incorporate physical literacy in our kindergartens and our childcare? Which I remember doing like PMP. What's Do, that? Uh, perceptual motor program or something like that. Like where you like, it's like obstacle courses, like at, at primary school. Like you know they, what? They used to be. It's probably done more there. Yeah. Uh, but not anymore. Like, mate, like it, it doesn't happen anymore. Like much. Like, I don't know. They stopped doing it because I think some kids got hurt or something like that. Oh, like, fucking boohoo. And I think they got like, hurt. Yeah. Like, I remember it's like oh some schools God. don't let kids go on monkey. Oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but um, I think, you know, and I remember doing like martial arts and stuff as a kid as well, like, and just body weight strength. Like I see it now, like, like the amount of like push-ups, sit-ups, planks, body weight, like stuff. And like, I was always a kid, like, and yeah, I'm a bit of a lighter kid anyway, but like, I was always able to do chin-ups, push-ups, mm, hold same. planks, sit up, like, you know what I mean? Like that, where you get a lot of kids coming through now and they, they can't do a push-up, they can't do a chin-up. And yet they might be okay at their sport because they play their sport. But I think just developing general, like I look at, uh, you might be able to find it like Alva Miles, um hierarchy of athletic development and it's like work capacity and general movement is like at the bottom of the most foundational part of training you can't develop strength unless, unless you've developed like it's like these fucks who put bread it's like the opposite is these fucks who put bread and grains at the bottom of the food pyramids <laughs> a different topic though so hierarchy of athletic development yeah I think uh, it's like work capacity evaluation yeah uh, you yeah, want me yeah. to read it out yeah you can go if you want evaluation and testing work capacity we're going dip bottom up strength yep. explosiveness reactive strength speed yep um and i think people don't start at the bottom and develop you know firstly evaluate where the athlete's strengths and weaknesses are where are they deficient joint by joint theory different you know movement capabilities but like just general function like can you move can you run can you jump can you land can you control your body weight yeah like these are just very fundamental work capacity based um methods that proceed like because here's the thing, stability precedes force production. If you don't develop the basic stability around joints, you're not going to be able to express force. So I feel like skipping like bodyweight training um, at, as a young age, you develop the stabilizer strength at, at certain muscle groups and stuff like that so you can actually produce force. So then you can move up the chain and then move up the chain and then move up the chain and then eventually you know, you've created an athlete. Um, and that starts from 10 or 11 or 12 or whatever, you know what I mean? Younger, potentially, I don't know. But but it's different emphasis it's more around play and fun well if i recall correctly neural plasticity is highest upon puberty yeah. right in that period of time and so for those who don't understand neuroplasticity think of the highest portion of the highest moment in your life where you are the most adaptable for your nervous system to adapt and learn new skills yep. would you say that's somewhat accurate yep. um and so this is a yep. prime time for children to develop these fundamental movement competencies and if you don't well it's just generally going to take longer and be a bit more difficult to acquire mm. and refine new skills post that yep 100 um to take advantage of it yeah correct and i think 
yeah, not enough kids just do general movement training to be able to actually control their body. Like a lot of the time, the kids these days, they either go play their sport or they sit at home and play on the PlayStation. There's not, like things like martial arts, gymnastics and stuff like that, not Amazing. only do you develop like discipline, work ethic, blah, 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 but you actually develop how to control your body um, in various planes of motion and stuff as well. Um, which, you know, these are skills that are acquired and developed over, you know, it's a skill like how long does it take to become is it 10,000 hours I think that like the old I don't know if that's actually valid anymore or whatever but we'll just use it as a, as a concept um, athletic development 10,000 hours like it's a separate quality and in order to like seek perfection and here's the thing once kids are at elite sport they don't have 10,000 hours to, 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 to devote their time to because they've got all these other things that they're having to worry about but during your, your childhood and your um, your teenage years adolescence that's the time to develop these skill sets coincide with your sport. Mm-hmm. So that by the time, you know, they enter an elite sporting setting, um, you know, they're, they're fully ready to go. Like they don't need to worry about it. It's all maintenance or, you know, just topping up whatever they need to do. But there's a huge disconnect in, uh, and we talked about this with Jordan, uh, who I've had on the podcast, um, a huge disconnect with children, parents, school, and movement, athletic movement, like the prioritizing athletic development. And so my thing is like, if we're going to list a problem, we need to list a solution with it. Yeah. And from that conversation that I had with, with you guys, I didn't hear a solution. Mm. What are some solutions? Because it's population-based. Yeah, I think a lot of it, I look at the high school system. So here's the thing. I remember going through high school, there was always different electives, sport electives, PE electives, art electives, whatever, whatever. Once you get to, I, I can't say how, like why, like, all these schools spend that much money on these different shit that probably at the end of the day probably isn't helping a lot of the kids. If you just invested in some basic gym equipment, got a coach, because here's the thing, the school setting is actually probably the the perfect environment. You're you're at school for 42 weeks of the year. You're sitting down for most of it. Correct. But you've got a a, a window where, you know, sometimes after school commitment is hard for kids because they're doing so much sport. They don't have time. They're done. Where embedding it into the school system yeah saves the kids time they get to and if it's a part of elective or whatever like um you know it, it helps the kids because they don't have to do a subject they don't want to do helps them long term athletically and you've actually got like a, a you can build a curriculum like a 42 week curriculum in which yeah you like can periodized. start yeah and you can start with like develop foundation like most of like with my junior athletes, I have like a foundation development and a performance phase. And in order to progress through, they have to hit certain competencies to progress through. Um, you could have like year sevens and eights, foundation, year nine, 10, development, year 11 and 12, performance. You could have a hierarchy like that and just have a, a funnel group throughout the system. And you just have a coach that goes through. Um, that's, in my opinion, that's probably the best environment to do it. But you've got to have teachers on board to be able to implement and be on the right page and schools, so not just teachers, but the entire um, it's a great idea but but I've seen it done like uh, look no most ideas of mine aren't original they've would we argue that almost none of our ideas are original 100% and that goes back yeah 100% standing on the shoulders of giants correct Um, but like yeah I've seen it done over in the UK um, where it can be done very well it can be done and I think um, it's just about the school seeing the value in it, I think that's the important thing. Because it can be like private schools can do it immediately. Yep. You don't they need are, to they go. They are to doing it. it. Like private schools are to a certain extent, pro- are already doing it. But yeah. here's the thing: 
public schools are they're governed by government. Yeah, and then they're not. It starts yeah. from there. Um, okay. But yeah, like I, I just think um, that's probably the best because you've got the time. You've got five days a week. Of, you know, you may not train like they might train twice a week. Or something How do like you that. get when you work with parents? Because essentially, you're not selling really to the kid. Mm. You're selling to the parent. You have to get buy-in from the parent. How do you facilitate that conversation? How do you realize well, this parent, these parents are just not. They just don't understand. They're not bought in. They're, there's too much stickiness. I can't yep. work with them. Um, Does that happen? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, like it happens all the time. Um, and I think it, it goes back to what we were talking about. How like just because your kid's good at your sport doesn't mean they're a good athlete. And as they move up the ranks, the the funnel gets shorter, so they're better athletes because they filter out um, the worst of skilled athletes. Yeah, like or like even no, so even like same skill, but so let's compare same skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, one athlete's better athlete versus less athlete well the better skilled and the better athlete is going to win you mm-hmm. know what I mean and eventually this field, as you go up higher the ranks at the lower levels the better skilled athlete is just going to win as you move up the ranks eventually they both go alongside with it and eventually as you get to the final the top the, the better skilled athletes don't always sorry the better skilled players don't always perform well because everyone else because everyone's good but then they're also well conditioned so I think eventually, like, they might be right now and parents think, oh, they're good at their age now. Maybe their kid hit puberty early and they're a bit stronger. They're a bit, oh, they don't need to do that stuff. But eventually as they get older, especially, like, going through pathways and stuff like that, like, that may not be the case, um, potentially. So I think in terms of, like, how, like, you, you, you talk about it and um, I won't sell it if you want to call it that, but I think as we went back before, you look at the human athlete player. I think that's that's important thing. So, like, what are the values that you're bringing to your program? What do you what is your program develop that's different to another program? Because a lot of there's a lot of different extracurricular activities that um, kids do and try over the course of their childhood. Most of the time, parents try and get them active. But what separates your program from that program? It doesn't have to be strength and conditioning. It could be anything. Well, are you creating better people, better values, better discipline? Um, you know being able to achieve goals and, and move up through that I think that's very important a selling point because that's what the parents want to hear like yeah sure they're paying for to make my my kid stronger faster blah 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 but at the end of the day how many kids actually end up playing elite sport very 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 few they want to make sure that their investment is making them better off in the long term I think as well I think that's even before we look at um, you know just getting faster stronger more powerful I think at a deeper level that's actually a very important aspect to note but then i think as we move up the ranks i think it just goes back to education about um you know talking about how injury is another one like every kid gets injured at some point throughout the ranks um we know acl injuries have nearly quadrupled in the last 15 years in junior athletes which is quite a fair bit quadrupled quadrupled yep 15 Um, years in australia yep australia's got the highest acl rates in the world really yep what do you attribute that to uh I think, look, a lot of our sports are very chaotic pivot. Like, you look at netball, football, soccer. Like, they're very 360-degree movements um, where some other sports aren't always like that. Um, A lot of, like, decent, like, which, yeah, some are, but... And we have a high sport rate. Like, a lot of of people play sport in Australia. Like, we're a very sport-culture-based nation. Um... But, like, here's the thing. Like, we know we can prevent these injuries. Like, the, the research is fundamentally clear. Like, I think, yeah, there was a meta-analysis of meta-analyses, which oh, literally God. put That's every single... fucking sim- matrix. Yeah, correct. Um, and, oh, I 
the amount of participants and people that and like what can that you show, imagine that doing a meta analysis on meta analysis yeah that is a head right and and here's the thing and i think they showed that you can prevent non-contact acl injuries by 67 percent in female athletes and yeah. i think it was like 60 or 58 percent in all athletes that's like by huh by doing but oh, sorry by doing uh <laughs> my bad i get to the point um <laughs> by doing like you know performing neuromuscular training programs so like strength power speed agility change direction based drills um conditioning athletes basically and here's the thing like this is why i always get confused where people like especially like with the aflw at the moment is they're like oh well, we need more research for the girls God. you can't really get any more research in a meta-analysis of a meta-analysis no they want a meta-analysis of a meta-analysis of a meta-analysis yeah so and here's the thing it's not just the data it's about the application of the data exactly. so we know that the strength well, conditioning um works but it's also how the program is implemented so you need to have the skill set to actually implement the program and um, they don't have those professionals no and you look at there. and here's the thing you look at junior sport who are the um junior coaches their parents their volunteers they're they're people that are just doing it for the love of yeah. um and that's fantastic that you know they're taking up their time to, to help the community to, yeah to absolutely grow. But they don't have the expertise of how to develop athletes. And then there's like, they don't have also the money or they no, won't the, budget no the funding. money. Yeah, like for, from that. So so you see there's so many downstream correct. consequences. 100%. And I think, which is why it is so flawed that we're looking for more research when instead of providing the, and even at the, like the AFLW level, like A, they've got very little time and they're getting paid like nothing. Like you compare it um, and like the coaches there, like there's like two S&C coaches trying to overlook 30 girls like good luck sometimes it's hard to train three people one-on-one -on -one, like making sure everything's perfect technically good luck trying to do that to 30 people that at one time like you know what i mean like how, how do you coach that like it, it's hard to, to, to get that it's high hard, level but i think it's definitely doable it is doable 100 but i think it, it just goes back to hiring more staff to be able to implement that better coaches better funding into more time better funding into developing but it, it, in all honesty it does start at the grassroots so whether that that funding gets fed down to like because let's be honest how many exercise science graduates looking to go into strength and conditioning graduate every year i think it's like five thousand or something like that well no in general maybe not uh, yeah and here's the thing a lot of these so people long. don't have work yet there is such a demand for all these people to work it's just that there's Supply no money is low yeah um and people I, say do exercise science do exercise science maybe don't do exercise science unless maybe you, mate, I, i'm generally if you buy an anatomy book, a physiology book, a biomechanics book, um, motor learning book, yep. um, strength conditioning book, mate, and you thoroughly read that content, because okay. let's be honest, yeah, go on. What the fuck are universities degrees based on? They're fucking annotations of books. Yes, correct. Um, where, it, like, in, in, in all honesty, like most people at uni, like half the time, like sometimes they're focused, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're just trying to get through the, the grade. Like I know even at times I was a bit like that, at, but, my best learning happens when I'm going out by myself and applying the things that I'm wanting, not necessarily being told what I have to learn, if that makes sense. Um, so the people going through their course, they finish their course and they haven't even fully got the most out of the course. So they haven't, and then they haven't applied it as well. Which I think that's the thing. There should be barriers to entry for these courses. Like, And it's not going to happen. But if I was fucking the president of the world, mm. all right, maybe we should talk about you actually being a trainer and coach mm. before... You start a degree. Figure out one if you actually want to do it. Mm. Two, you can at least get experience while you're doing it, so you can apply the skill yeah, set that you're learning. Um, it's the best thing I did. Yeah, doing. And look, 
getting a mentor coach or going to down to a facility yeah. like here or, or whatever, you buy so much time. As I said, well like said. you buy time. Yeah. In mistakes that you don't have to make. Correct. And there's coaches here that have been where you are and have made the same mistakes that you have. That's what I'm saying. The thing that I finally learned five years in with the online in person system. Yep. It's on my website. Steal it from me. Mm. Like that is what I wish I had that system. But like here's the thing, we're not hiding anything. Like no. that's, that's uh, and take it. Yeah, take it because that's. It's it, not even it, ours. Yeah, it's not even ours. And a hundred percent, like <laughs> you, you know? can take the system, but we've been doing this for, for you know developing craft for, for over years of our systems. Like good luck trying to implement. That's true. If so, you're just fresh off the boat. Yeah, take the system. The yeah. system doesn't matter. You still got to be able to. Um, do it. And and this is why yeah. like people are like oh I don't want to put info out on social media. Like, mate, take the exercise. It doesn't even matter do because Correct. guess there's a million other people who are doing yeah, exactly. that. Exactly. And and look, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, as I said, mate, like if you literally dive deep into some of the best books on all these topics yeah. of human, general human function, and then got a mentor that's actually in the trenches and paid money for that, the value that you'd get over a university degree, and let's be honest, unless you want to work in elite sport, what does it get you? A piece of paper at the end of the day, like a title that... It, I think it gets you as much as you're willing to get out of it. Yeah, correct. Um, look, that's just my opinion. Um because yeah, I know some yeah. There's some good great coaches out there that don't even have a like they're just a, a cert three and four. Like, um, I don't yeah. And I think it just goes by how much you want to get out of it. Like at uni, if you really apply yourself, you'll get something out of it. Yeah. Um, but then you got to apply it too. So you, yeah. Um, but I don't. And that just goes back to like as I said, like just because you got an exercise science degree doesn't mean you're a good coach. So like, and, that's, and people like hiring. And just like, because you don't doesn't mean you're a bad coach. Yeah, correct. So, and I think this is, we've all seen great um, people with Cert 3 and 4s who are fantastic strength and conditioning coaches. But you also have exercise scientists who just because you got your degree doesn't make you a strength and conditioning coach, in my opinion. Um, and then you got people, oh, he's got a degree, we'll hire him. Like, I'm talking more like, I'm seeing it a bit more happen at local sport, which is good. Um, but then you see it happen and they're like, they haven't actually developed their craft anywhere and they're trying to go straight into, and which is why I reckon developing your craft in the private sector first and then trying to go to elite, oh, like if you want to go, if that's what you want to do, you've got to develop coaching people one-on-one before you can coach one for many, in my opinion. Yeah. Learn what works, learn what, how to coach, how to do these things. Um, know your systems, know what your philosophies are as a coach, which can take time to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, which is hard, man. Like, I don't think we're going to have the answer to be able to sort out the the junior, uh, the ACL epidemic in female sport. Well, not in the in the meantime, anyway. Because until we sort this out, I think it's just going to be a consistent trend over coming through. Unless, like, you know, those previous generations are, are, are sorting that out. Which, you know, we're all trying to change. But it's, it's one thing that I, I focus on quite a bit. Um, and actually, before this, I was actually going to do a female ACL prevention workshop right before this mm. whole thing happened. But that got cancelled. But... Um, I don't know. You help one person, it trickles down. Correct. So, yeah. but you look at it. I mean, we're talking about Iowa briefly. We didn't really talk about it, but mm. in comparison to a country, America, that is doing it so well, on the application perspective, is at the collegiate level, you see the fruits of the labor that have been put in. Mm. And so, what I saw uh, when we went, me and Christian went to uh, Iowa, went to the University of Iowa to see the Iowa Hawkeyes um, to shadow. Uh, Boyle uh, wait fucking uh, Chris Doyle uh, excuse me who looks like Thanos for those have you seen a photo of him? no he looks like fucking Thanos a white Thanos it's hilarious Mm. but he's 
what we saw was unbelievable. Uh, what I mean by that is how disciplined and regimented they were. As soon as he walked onto the giant pitch, facility is unbelievable, mm. number one. It's, ima- it's exactly what you imagine. When you walk onto the football pitch indoors, I'm just watching their warm-ups. I mean, we were on the sidelines and we're watching their warm-ups. Um, and what we saw was everything was on point. Everything was regimented. It was militaristic in a lot of ways. They was timed. They went from movement to movement flawlessly and seamlessly. Mm. There was no dead space and dead time. They were there for... It was purposeful. It was driven. They weren't fucking around. 100%. And then once they did that, they came into the gym. And the way they lifted was music's blaring. You have atmosphere. You have people lifting hard, lifting heavy. You have on every rack... Um, it, it has a piece of laminated paper says uh, something like deep diaphragmatic or in, uh, inhalations and breathing in between uh, each set. They're trying to teach kind of and remind and cue people to down-regulate in between sets to lower the heart rate and then get back into it. Um, they're doing heavy cleans. They're ringing the bell every time a PB hits set. Yeah. you got the guys on the side who are doing rehab recovery work on the side there. And then they have the nutrition station after where they all get these these shakes. I walk into the room and they got just like, the facility's unbelievable, um, as it, you can imagine. Um, but everything's taken care for and it's regimented. And it's, this is why that system is so successful because they treat it, they treat it with the utmost respect and purpose and, and deliberateness. Um, and that's that. It's like we can learn from that. Well, I remember when Jay said when he went over, a lot of them take a knee, like right yeah, as you said start, that. and coach, like they, they call yeah, you coach. Yeah. So like there is a lot of respect ingrained in the, in the culture um, over there, um, which probably doesn't happen too much over here. Um, but yeah, like you're right. Like I think that's every SNC coach's dream to be able to have that, you know, like a high performance program like that where it's all regimented, you know, complete discipline complete you know structure blah 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 blah. i think everyone wants that as a coach like that's what you want that's if you're working in a team environment that's what you're kind of working towards and you can i think i was i was inspired after seeing it and i tried to take elements from it when i coach groups which is less often nowadays Mm. but when i do i i think i've assimilated and adopted some of that style uh treating it kids they especially kids who are kind of doing something that maybe they don't want to do as much right you're kind of fighting an uphill battle a little bit it's like some of these kids you know they're just they're just following what they got told to do yeah. they didn't really voluntarily choose to do it but in trying to bridge the gap and find and, and instill that uh discipline and regiment with, with also some understanding and empathy um but there's lessons in there that they can learn as athletes and human beings there too mm. yeah 100 percent nailed it we can, that's, I mean, we can only do we can only lead by example and do what we do and that quote uh, I'm going to give it to you Ralph Wando Emerson who you are speak so loudly I can't hear a word you're saying does that make sense? Yep. who you are speak so loudly I can't hear a word so people talk 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 you just have to be yep 100% and I guess that just goes back to what we kind of spoke about earlier on. And the rest will take care of itself. How are you doing around this time? I think that's that's one of the last things I wanted to talk about yeah. was like how you, I think we didn't actually get onto it, but how are you able to be 
successful and more successful than other health professionals and other professionals now in this time? Uh, I, look, I guess I'll talk about a bit of a, a general... Um, but as, as I said, like I think everyone's... Um, it, it's such a unprecedented situation we're all in at the moment that um, you've got to be adaptive. And I think at the moment, like people don't have equipment at the moment to train. People um, aren't playing sport. So I guess you've got to find ways to, um, A, and even my, my current clients, like how can I find ways to keep them training like and motivated to, to train through through that process? But um, yeah, look, I think I've been pretty lucky. Like, and I think in Australia, we're very lucky that we haven't been hit to the extent that yeah. um, a we lot are. of the other countries around the world are. But um, yeah, look, I, I think that, you know, it is what it is. And I think you just got to adapt. A lot of the- Have you adapted? Yeah, like a lot of it has been through that, through online training at the moment, which is... Um, How many of your clients moved from one-on-ones to online? Uh, well, pretty much all of them had to because... But you can still train oh, people yeah, at your sorry, home. Sorry, my bad. Um, <laughs> yes, oh, and um, at fields and stuff like that. Oh, I'd probably say uh, probably 60, uh, 70%, maybe 60 or 70% went online during yeah. that period. Yeah. Why didn't you decide to just or offer them, or maybe you did, Hey, technically we can still, it's a home. So not actually a yeah. gym. You can just come to my home gym, um, garage gym. Well, a lot of it um, as well. Like, okay. So if I go back to like conditioning sessions and that, like um, they can do a lot of that stuff themselves. True. Um, even speed stuff to a certain extent. Like we've done a lot of stuff before that where they know. I'd built the foundations for that so that they can go off and sprint properly. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the gym stuff, look, I think... Um, yeah, look, I, I gave a lot of them sort of body weight stuff. Like some people didn't want to train during yeah. that period. Like as in like have contact with people. Oh, fair. Which is fair, 100%. So um, I guess I took a lot of um, inspiration from Alex Natera's work um, around how you can still get like a very strong neuromuscular stimulus during um, this period without like with minimal equipment and stuff like that. So... I guess I took a lot of those concepts and, and applied it online with my, my athletes who are pretty much, you know, they're still training like it. Like things like towel isometrics, like that's a maximal contraction. Give an example of, of one for people listening who, um, who don't. Oh, look, yeah, there's, there's heaps of different ways you can do it. But like, all right, let's just say like a deadlift, hold a towel underneath your feet, two hands on either end of the towel and literally push as hard as you can into the ground while maintaining a deadlift position. So like with an isometric the, the muscle length doesn't actually change but um for those that are familiar with cal Dietz work is that um the amortization phase which is like that brief period between the eccentric phase which is like the lengthening of the muscle um and the concentric phase which is the shortening we have like this isometric phase so if we do not like by training the isometric phase what we can do is we can actually shorten the um the amortization phase so that that delay between the eccentric and the um concentric phase so that we can actually produce force more efficiently basically uh i guess the easiest way i like to explain it is like a rubber band so if you pull back a rubber band and then you pause and then you let go it's not going to be as a like springy as say if you pull back and then bang instantaneously spring back forward so that's the, like the easiest way i like to um define like an isometric contraction so and like you can produce a maximal effort without having to load up the weight, which is obviously a hazard. 
So you can have people with minimal training experience can just pull into a tower with, as long as they know how to get into the position, there's not a huge risk factor because um, A, they can get into it, they can just drop it. Like, like you know what I mean? Like there's, they can ramp up tension as they go through instead of having to pull maximally from like the dead stop. But doing. that's a difference. Dead stop yeah. pulls and like ramp ups. Yeah, correct. And yeah, yeah that's a different like way you could overload that yeah. um, as well. But it's just a lot safer position to, to get a maximal stimulus with a lower trained individual yeah. compared to loading up a bar. Um, so like they can get a very good training effect with that. Um, there's even things like Alex Otero put out like a um, how a single leg squat, like a yeah oh. single leg squat can um, have the same um, uh, loading parameters as a double leg squat with like your body weight. Yep, I'm gonna pull it up. Yeah, so I think if you're like a 70 kg athlete and you can perform a, a single leg squat, that's like the equivalent of lifting a 70 kilo squat was right. it a single leg squat or, or a uh, uh, split squat or a uh, his definition in his thing he did was a single leg squat but it may have been a split squat in his in his presentation was a single leg squat was it yep something like that can you see that yep that's the one yes so what I'm looking at guys for those who can't see which is everybody <laughs> until we get something set up here is the comparison comparison of additional loads in a deadlift and single leg squat so each leg makes up 16% of one's total body weight. So when you squat with one leg, it takes 84% of your body weight plus any additional load. An 80, ki 80 kilogram athlete squatting with 25% of their body weight um, are actually working at an equivalent of 1.5 times, 5, 1.5 times yep. body weight represented by this graph here. The practical implication of this is you can get an equivalent bilateral loading through unilateral means by using enough load to stimulate a high percentage of body weight. That sounds, and here's the thing, like with this as well, the thing is with a single leg squat is, as I said before, not many people can actually perform a single leg squat to start with. Yes. Um, you can go to a box or whatever if they can't do it, but because we're not necessarily trying to develop stability factors, I would hold on to an implement so they can actually just produce force. So obviously stability precedes force production. If you're unstable and you can't actually lower, you're going to be a limit the amount of force that you can produce. Yeah. So I would probably hold on to something and then just get them with a, you could just load it with a backpack. So for example, as it said there, for every kilogram that you load on one leg is equivalent to double. So if you put 10 kilo in a backpack, that's equivalent to 20 kilo extra. So um, yeah, so if you have like 20 kilo in your backpack, like that's like an extra 40 kilo plus Wait, your body. So load. would you say, so every kilo is... Yeah, for every additional load, because you've got to support it on one leg is... Um, well, think about it. So, if, so in the example that you said before, the 80 kilogram athlete with... What was the weight that they had? 25% of their body weight. Yeah, so what's that 20 kilo? So that's 40 kilo, that's 120 kilo. Hold on. That's 1.5 times body weight. Let's do some quick math. Yep. Oh, so, fuck, what yeah. tripping. It yeah. is 20 kilos. Yeah, so, so, so it's double. You just double the, the load. So 20, yeah, yeah. So we're just, sorry, I just blanked out after I was doing the calculations. You went from 20 kilos, 25% yep. of the body weight, yep. then where'd you go? Um, so you, you just double it because it's loaded on one leg, not on two. Right, oh, okay. So they're supporting that on one leg. Right. Yeah. So that's how you got that 1.5 times body right, weight. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, what you could do is you could stack that up, hold onto an implement, and then just get them to load as heavy as they can and as deep as whatever range that they can tolerate. Some people can go ask the grass. Other people might have to go to a box, a high box or something like that because they can't control it. Um, but look, it's another time. If you can't do one, then maybe, you know, you, you spend that time working on that body weight training because, as I said, a lot of people skip that foundation of being able to do things like push-ups, chin-ups, different... Um, sit-up and progressing sit-up variation and I think 
here's the thing like even with push-ups and that like you can progress push-ups to the point where you're nearly working a single arm push-up where the loading is very high like through so i think a lot of people just stop right at push-ups and chin-ups and then like there's other ways that you can load and even like core exercises like that you see like a lot of gymnastics and that like some of their core strength is phenomenal they mm. don't just stop at sit-ups <laughs> They, they're, they're progressing like through the ranks all the way through to their freaking yeah, L-sits, planches. Correct. And I think that should just be a general function of A, you know, in the early years, but also thread it in whether it's in a warm-up or at the end of a, a program or something like that. I think general body weight should always be in there somewhere, I think. I agree. And um, I think warm-up is a great place to do it. Yeah, 100%. Different flow-based flow stuff as well where you can integrate it all. Um, but yeah, so, so that's another way where you can get like a full three three contraction based method and still get some load no one's saying it's perfect um and then you've still got your things like your plyometrics um sprints and stuff like that so to be honest you can still hit get some real good performance benefits here yeah during this for athletic development yeah. too which yeah. you know so many people think that it's not possible but it is it is if you just gotta be and here's the thing the principles stay the same yeah we're surfing the force velocity curve with that high load low load different contraction type multi-planet three different planes like the principles of what we've been taught throughout the ranks don't change mm. it's just the implements that we're using that change great we're point sort of, yeah so i think that's important too like you see an exercise on instagram because everyone's putting shit out at the moment regardless if you're a coach or not oh this is a great exercise this is it well you got to filter through how is this actually making me a better athlete mm. um yeah well said jay edmonds is there anything else you want to touch on comment on no i think we've before we get how are we going for Let's have a look. You said, you said, you, you said, you drugged to me. You said downstairs you'd barely get an hour of me. Maybe. I got, we got double. Yeah, double. So, brother, I really appreciate you coming on. No problem. And talking some chimps. Yeah, very enjoyable. Yes, man. Um, where can people come find you if they want to learn more? Get coached by Edmonds himself. Yeah, uh, Instagram's probably my best platform at the moment. So that's at performance coach underscore Edmonds. Um, How do you yeah. spell that? Uh, E-D-M-U-N-D-S Easy uh, Yeah, so I guess that's where I, like, I, I put a lot of content out So even if you're just interested in Learning some new shit Oh, that's what reminds me Before we Where where is where are you going to go? Where does the vision of your career take you In the next few years? Do you think like that? Or is it a day at a time? Do you want a facility? You're like, fuck that Where are you thinking? Uh, look, I think it's always pivot It's always changing Like, as I said, like Oh man, I think I'm just trying to get the best, become the best coach I can be at the moment. And I think being so young, the better skilled I can become as a coach, I'm going to open up a lot more doors with wherever I want to go because I've got the skill set to go in whatever direction, whether that's online, whether that's at a club, whether that's owning my own facility, not entirely sure. Might have elements of all at some extent and whatever I feel at the time is working, I might go with that. But at the moment, I'm just, I don't think I have... I'm just trying to get better every day, I think. And I think, especially during this period where I've got a bit more time to um, do that, I think it's just, um, yeah, look, I, I'm only 22 at the moment. And <laughs> I, I think about it, I've only been starting since I've 18. So it's only been four years. It feels a lot longer than that because a lot of the coaches down here have had a lot more experience than what I have. And I feel like I've fast-tracked a lot of development, but full credit to them. But um, Full credit to you, man. You did the work too, every day. Yeah, You're everyone here. else is down here. Everyone's in the same boat too. And I think, um, you know, we, we, we all still have a long way to go. But I think, you know, if brick by brick, you just keep moving towards that, we're going to get a bit better. I think. That's right, man. Let's build that um, wall. Yeah, so yeah, that's it for that. 
Well said. Good job. Thank you, Jay. No problem.